Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, we're going to continue our study through uh, uh, 1 Thessalonians. Uh, last week, we looked at chapter 1. This week, we're going to continue in chapter 2. But before we get started, open up your Bible to Isaiah chapter 9. In Isaiah chapter 9, the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, a lot of times people look at this verse and they say, oh, look, it's Christmas time. Oh, look, it's time for Christmas. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And that's beautiful. That's perfectly fine. I'm not saying that's bad in any way, shape, or form. But understand, the prophet Isaiah, Jesus Christ was not born when the Spirit, in obedience to the Lord, when the inspired of the Spirit, when he wrote these words down. Jesus Christ was not yet born. Now, for you and me today, we are spoiled. Spoiled because we have the full counsel of the Word of God, Genesis to Revelation, And when we read this verse, for unto us a child is born, the child has been born. Jesus Christ, son of the most high, born of a virgin. He has been born. In verse 6, the prophet Isaiah, he writes, inspired of the spirit, in obedience to the Lord, says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Now, we read this and it's like, wait a second, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. This, the prophet Isaiah, this prophecy, people say, okay, this is a Christmas verse. Yes, it's, you know, I I understand that. But then at the same time, understand that these are prophetic. These are prophetic. Jesus Christ was not born when the Spirit says, Isaiah, write these words down. Remember the seed, until the seed? The law was the additive until the seed, and it was added because of sin. Listen to our study through Galatians. You'll understand more about that. But this unto us, it boils it down even deeper, even further. Why? Because it evokes a response. In verse 6 still, and the government will be upon his shoulder. Now, in accordance to the flesh, according to the flesh, This is pending. Government will be upon his shoulder. According to the flesh, this is a pending matter. According to the Spirit, if you are in Christ, you're abiding in Christ, you believe in Jesus Christ, and you're abiding in Jesus Christ, this is fulfilled in the Spirit. Why? Because you are no longer governed by your own emotions, by your own intellect, by your own logic. It's not to say you don't have emotion. It's not to say you don't have intellect. You don't have logic. Those are uh, uh, parts of the human experience which you have dethroned. We have dethroned. And who has, who is sitting on the throne of our heart? Jesus Christ. Governed by God. According to the flesh, this prophetically speaking, according to the flesh, this is a pending matter. The government is not yet on his shoulders. Not yet. We're living in a time where the world is changing and the world can change on a dime. I met some older folks, you know, who've experienced varying wars, different wars in history. You know that the world can change on a dime. 
You know, we have this, I teach from America and you know, we have this, you know, what is what we often refer to as the America bubble. We've been sheltered from so many different things. America has been kind of like on the, on the top of the hill, king of the hill, so to speak. But prophetically speaking, that's going to change. That will change. And some of the younger generation have never lived when, you know, America wasn't on top. But the world is changing as we speak. And it can so quickly change depending on regionally where you live. This, we have listeners all throughout the world, not yet Antarctica, but in all seven continents or all, well, six continents. Depending on where you live in the world, it can change rapidly and in some cases way more rapidly than in other areas. And you know that the world can change, but the younger generation, mostly in Western cultures, they've never experienced this. And I, you know, I don't want to talk like an old guy. I'm not super old. Well, I'm, I'm super old. I feel super old. But to have communication, you know, your younger generation, when you talk to your grandparents and great grandparents, especially if they're immigrants, talk to them. They'll tell you about governments and, you know, why they fled from one area to another area, how, how terrible it was is living in certain regions. But there is a shift happening for such a time as this. You know, we would, we would look at prophetic passages before in the past and, you know, we would kind of see like, you know, uh, pieces coming into place and things falling into place. But at some moment in time, there was always the, the notion of, you know, what will be the catalyst to begin this? I mean, if you put like, you know, uh, like we're like 4th of July, you know, I teach from America. So 4th of July or like New Year's, you know, you have like fireworks or if you have like firecrackers. You know, you have like a string of firecrackers and, you know, there's the the wick that's attached to it. You know, you see the fireworks in place or the firecrackers, everything's in place. Everything's connected. Everything's it's going to be, you know, a a big boom. Everything's going to be for celebration. But the catalyst is the actual flame that touches the flame that touches that wick. And then as soon as that line is lit, all of a sudden you see the sparks and it's moving and it's going closer to closer, closer, closer. And then all of a sudden, boom, 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 the firecrackers. And that's what we see when we look at prophecies. It's like, you know, you know, all these firecrackers, they're lined up. Everything's lined up and put into place and everything is set. But what would be the catalyst to just put things in motion at an exponential rate? And we're living in a time where we're starting to see these things happen, the catalysts. Prophetically speaking, government will be upon his shoulder, but not yet. According to the flesh, we're going to see a shift in global powers, regional powers. We're seeing the Magog expand, Magog grow. You see in the, in the spirit realm how there are uh, 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 entities over nations and regions. And I speak primarily of Gog and Magog. You see right now we're living in a time where the Euphrates River, the mighty, mighty Euphrates is drying 
It's becoming dry for such a time as this. And in some cases, it's way dry, like arid. Why is that? Prophetically speaking, the Bible says it's to make way for the kings of the east so the armies can come in and enter and attack Israel. Prophetically speaking. And for such a time as this, the Euphrates River is drying today. The shift in global powers, regional powers, regional entities. And there will be a leader who emerges on the world scene who will bring peace. A peace that the world longs for. A peace that the world yearns for and desires. But the Bible says it will be fake peace. False. It will be false peace. It's a trap. The Bible says this person, this Man of peace will be the son of perdition, the Antichrist. That's what the Bible says. So we see verse 6. A lot of people say, oh, it's, this is Christmas. It's a Christmas verse. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The son has been born. The son is given. But the question is, is he in you and are you in him? The answer is yes. Praise be to the Lord. Keep it that way. Together, let's keep it that way. Remember, once saved, always saved is unbiblical. The biblical formula is once saved, stay saved. Also, prophetically speaking, is apostasy, a falling away from the faith, a a defection away from truth, a defection away from Jesus Christ. If you do not have Jesus Christ inside of you, let today be the day of salvation right here, right now. God loves you. Understand He sent his son into the world not to condemn the world. Not to condemn the world. That's what the Bible says. Not to condemn the world. But that the world through him might be saved. It's a very big deal. Might be saved. Remember, God doesn't make robots. Might, might, might be saved. The question is, do you believe? I pray yes. And if the answer is yes, and you don't already believe, hit pause and listen to the message, how to commit your life to Jesus Christ. And you commit your life to Jesus Christ right here, right now. And then you come back and you listen and we continue. My new brother, my new sister in Christ. And we grow and we mature together. And the government that will be upon his shoulder, which is, according to the flesh, a pending matter. You know, we see these the world shifting right now. You see major players, things are changing. But then also understand, 
that these world governments, as they shift in these last days, as they shift, ultimately, they will be given over to Jesus Christ. And the government will be upon his shoulder when he returns. He is returning. But when you believe in Jesus Christ, you become governed by God. You make decisions. You make choices in life. Jesus Christ is leading you in these choices. You and me, we are governed by God. But that's a choice. He doesn't make robots. He doesn't say, you know, I, you know, I stand at the door and I'm going to kick it in and, you know, you will be my subjects. He doesn't say that. I'm not a Calvinist. I'm not reformed theory. We study the Bible. We look and see what the Bible says. He says, I stand at the door and knock. And if you hear, I will come in and sup with you. And that's what I, I desire for you, for us. For Jesus Christ to be inside our hearts. Governing. Which is a choice. You and me, we're the ones who have to get off the throne of our hearts. And say, Lord, it's yours. Jesus, it's yours. We see verse 6. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. We say, oh, it's Christmas. It's Christmas. Look, it's beautiful. Yes, it's beautiful. Yes, I can understand how people, you know, apply it to Christmas. But it's much deeper. Prophetically speaking and, you know, very deeply personally speaking. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Remember, Jesus Christ said, Everlasting Father, how could that be? Jesus Christ says, I and my Father are one. Remember, John 10. I and my Father are one. This, according to the flesh, will be fulfilled. Pending. According to the Spirit, fulfilled. Now when I say according to the Spirit, that assumes that you have the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, it is entirely possible to be a believer in Jesus Christ without the Holy Spirit. Listen to our study through Acts 8 and you'll understand. You have believers in Jesus Christ and they did not have the Holy Spirit. Which is dangerous in these last days. This is a last days ministry. Last days teaching ministry. Specifically designed for the last days. The Lord didn't call me to teach the dead. I teach the living. With the Spirit. You know, these verses are fulfilled according to the Spirit. Because when you are abiding in Christ and Christ in you and you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, then we see verse 6 in a different light. Because yes, Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder, but the government of my life, the government of your life, it's, it's, it's him. And yes, he is wonderful. Yes, he is counselor. Yes, he is mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Yes, absolutely. But this is according to the spirit. According to the flesh, 
People hate Jesus. According to the flesh, they don't call him wonderful. According to the flesh, they don't call him counselor. They don't call him prince of peace, mighty God. But according to the flesh, we also have the Antichrist spirit who prevents, attempts to prevent people from believing in Jesus Christ. I say attempts. He's very effective, but I say attempts because I'm hopeful for you, my dear friend. I am hopeful for you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I still say my dear friend, my dear brother, my dear sister. But if you are not a believer, cut it out. People tell me all the time, they're like, you know, that's the, that's the, that's the weirdest altar call I've ever heard before in my life. You know, cut it out. But that's what I say. If you do not believe in Jesus Christ, cut it out. Why? Because Jesus Christ himself, he says, I tell you these things, prophetically speaking, he says, I tell you these things before they happen, before they happen, so that when they happen, you might believe. We're living in the days of Noah, my friend. The days of Noah. You read the prophecies, you understand the prophecies. Now, there are false teachers today like Rick Warren. He says, oh, don't be distracted by uh, prophecies. Don't study the prophecies. Don't be distracted by last day's prophecies. Such people are not fit for the kingdom of heaven. That's what the Bible refers to as not only a hireling, a false teacher presenting another Jesus, another gospel in accordance to another spirit. And I fear for you because you might well put up with it. I don't want you to put up with it, but I fear because you might put up with it. Being seduced by Satan and his workers, such as Rick Warren. A so-called pastor who says, don't study the prophecies, and if you do, you're not fit for the kingdom of heaven. We see verse 6 here in Isaiah 9. We look at verse 6, and now it's like it's deeper. We understand prophetically speaking, you know, Jesus Christ wasn't born yet. And prophetically speaking, Isaiah looked forward to these things in obedience to the Lord, writing these things down. Just as the Bible says, the prophets of old, they look forward to these things. And we're so spoiled today because the child has been born, the son is has been given the son has also died the son was also resurrected the son is also returning again and when he returns again these things will be fulfilled according to the flesh they will be fulfilled and if you are outside of christ today by then it will be too late Let today be the day of salvation. Choose this day whom you shall serve. If you want to commit your life to Jesus Christ, you believe in Jesus Christ, the one who says, I tell you these things before they happen so that when they happen, you might believe. Change that might into will. That you will believe. 
you hit pause, you listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And you come to Christ right here, right now. People are going to think you're crazy, but you know, that's one of the signs. Praise be to the Lord. Everybody thinks I'm crazy. Oh, you believe in those fairy tales, fairy tales, fairy tales. Well, we see the things happening and then as prophesied, you call her fairy tale. You see, we see in verse seven, still in Isaiah chapter nine, we see in verse seven of the increase of his government and peace. There will be no end. Uh, There will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice. Now, according to the flesh, this is a pending matter. According to the spirit, fulfilled. Established in Christ. You see? That only happens according to the spirit. That when you're abiding in Christ and when you're abiding in Christ you're sealed by the spirit he says in verse 7 from that time forward even forever the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this these things will come to pass the Bible says the last days will be times of sorrows times of sorrows not times of sorrow Singular, times of sorrows, plural. The Bible says, perilous times. I've had these long conversations with non-believers. Freaked out, they're scared. Rightfully so. Because outside of Christ to be experiencing what this world is going through right now, I understand completely. It's scary. And even in Christ, there are scary implications, especially depending on where you live. Christians that are in Ukraine right now. Christians that are in North Korea right now. Christians that are in Taiwan. Christians in in Russia and Arab countries and China and the Middle East. Christians in Canada. Christians in America. Christians all over the world. Perilous times. Even the non-believer, perilous times. Because when the plagues start to befall the earth, they're across the globe. Across the globe. So, you know, we see these, the world is changing rapidly. And as we see these changes in the globe, Understand that ultimately, these world governments, as the beast from the sea emerges in accordance with Revelation 13, along with the beast from the earth emerging in accordance with Revelation 13 as well, these things must come to pass for all of Scripture to be fulfilled and all of Scripture will be fulfilled. And these governments... Tyrannical governments which are on the rise and these beasts are growing very, very sharp teeth. Understand that they will be given over to Jesus Christ and the governments will be on his shoulders. But right here, right now, he can rule and reign inside of your heart. But you have to believe. You have to believe. 
And believing in Jesus Christ evokes a response. Remember in Acts chapter 2, what do we do? They were cut to the heart. What do we do? Repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. Repent, hit pause, listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And you commit your life to Jesus Christ right here, right now. Now we continue our study through 1 Thessalonians. Let's go back to 1 Thessalonians. And so open up your Bible. We're in 1 Thessalonians. We ended in chapter 1. I mean, if you look at chapter 1 really quick. In chapter 1, where we ended last week. I mean, how beautiful is this to see? Like in, in chapter 1, verse 8. Brother Paul says, for, you, for, for from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. How beautiful is that? For, for Paul and his entourage and this little bubble, this holy bubble. When I say entourage, it's not like, you know, the celebrities and their entourages. No, this is a holy group of people. Paul, Timothy, Titus, Silas, Dr. Luke. All these people that are with them. Priscilla, Achilla, Lydia, Chloe. These people who are in this beautiful, beautiful bubble of Paul. And it's true. You see ministry leaders. You see pastors and elders and how the, how the Lord is using Paul and not just to exhort the saints, which is beautiful, but at the same time, you see, it's also training ground for the next generation of ministry leaders, pastors and elders. And for Paul to say, look, we don't have to say anything. Because in verse 9, for they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. How beautiful is that? How beautiful is this to even read about and fathom? But not only that, when we bring it home and like home to our hearts and we start to realize, wow, you know, turning to God from idols. If you committed your life to Jesus Christ, you know, just like, you know, we said in the last five minutes and you're listening and you're a brand new believer in Jesus Christ. Look how beautiful this is that, you know, you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. That used to be me serving idols. All kinds of various idols and understand that, yes, there is power in idols and other gods. Just like when you when we we study the account in Exodus. Do you remember the gods of Egypt? Yes, they were powerful. They had power. When God made the, the waters red and the magicians and the, uh, uh, the wise guys, the wise men of Pharaoh, they say, Pharaoh, look, we can do this too. And you know, they have their gods and they have their, their, which their gods do have power. And they say, look, Pharaoh, look, our gods can do it too. We can make the water red too. And they did. But when it came when it came to the hail, their gods couldn't do that. There is power behind idols and other gods and Buddha and Krishna and there's there is power. But they have nothing to do. They can't touch the Almighty. They cannot touch the Almighty. There is only one way to him, and that is through his son, Jesus Christ. Only one way. The other gods, Buddha, Krishna, whatever, they do not lead. They, they lead to God 
in judgment. You know, people say, you know, all paths lead to God, all paths lead to God. But okay, I get that. In in one sense, I agree. All paths lead to God, but not all paths lead to heaven. Because you can be like, you know, have an idol and, you know, you're going to stand before the Lord one day. And if you don't have Jesus Christ, that's straight up weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hellfire, damnation, fire, brimstone. Eternal separation from the Lord. That's lake of fire. So when we see, you know, all paths lead to God, I get that, you know, I'll, I'll concede. I've had these long conversations with all kinds of different people. I'll, I'll concede in that regard. Yeah. All paths lead to God. But certain pathways, certain pathways are, have judgment attached to it. Hellfire, damnation, fire, brimstone, lake of fire. There's only one way that leads to heaven. That's Jesus Christ. I'm just a messenger. One way. So the, 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 the wise guys of Pharaoh, they said, oh, you know, Pharaoh, let's not listen to, you know, Moses and Aaron. They're saying that, yeah, you know, they, they turned the water red and, you know, Pharaoh, don't listen to them. Don't let them, don't let them go. Let's keep them in bondage. Those are the wise guys, the religious leaders of Egypt. And their gods did have power. And they had the ability to do these things, to make the water red. They had that ability that, you know, they, they had that ability to do that. But then when the hail came, they couldn't do that. More plagues came, they couldn't do that. And finally, it was them who were telling Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let them go. Let them go because, yeah, you know, our gods, you know, we, we can do that. We can do the blood. We can do the, make the water red. But there's other stuff. We can't touch that. Understand that there is power behind idols. Demonic power. But then there is the Almighty. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, governed by God. How beautiful is it to see. How you see like in verse 9, chapter 1, verse 9, 1 Thessalonians. How you turned to God from idols to serve the true, the living and true God. I pray that you, if you're not a believer and you didn't heed my prior exhortation and call for you to become a Christian, a believer in Jesus Christ, do so right now. Turn to God from whatever it is that keeps, keeps you from him, whatever it is. Sex, drugs, alcohol, whatever it is, Buddha, Mary. Mary is, the worship of Mary is unbiblical for my Catholic friends. I love you, but your doctrine is wrong. And I say to you, come out of her, my people. Nowhere in the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, nowhere in the Bible will you see anywhere that makes mention of praying for dead relatives in purgatory and to pray for Mary to go and bring them out of purgatory and bring them to Jesus Christ. You will not find that in the Bible. You will find that in certain writings in Latin. You will find that in Catholic teaching. You will find that in uh, 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 catechisms. You will find that in Latin. But you will not find it in Greek 
Aramaic nor Hebrew, the original text, the original manuscript. You will find it in other teachings in Latin, which emanate from outside the Bible. And if it's outside the word, knowing that the word became flesh, and if it's outside the word of God, which became flesh, why would you follow? Why would you abide in that? Why would you abide in a text that is outside of the Logos? It is not safe. Sometimes I have these long conversations with the Catholics. Oh, you're so mean. You say, I got to leave this. I got to I gotta leave this. It's not, it's not leave for the sake of like, you know, hey, you know, I want to, I want, I want to break your heart because I don't want you to be with your friends anymore. No. That ship is sinking. That ship is straight up sinking. And to say leave, to say jump ship now, it is safe because you're jumping ship and you're getting on a better ark. His name is Jesus Christ, the ark of our times. In these days of Noah, Jesus Christ is the ark of our time. The door is open, but it's not going to be open forever. The church age is coming to a close according to prophecy. The church age is coming to a close. You worship Mary? Cut it out. It's, you, you'll find it in Latin. You'll find the worship of Mary, all kinds of different things. You know, praying to uh, angels. You'll see that all over, up and down, according to Latin, Latin texts. You will not find it in Greek, Aramaic, nor Hebrew. Original manuscripts. Inspired of the Spirit, Holy men inspired of the Spirit. You won't find it there. People say, you know, well, you know, the Bible has been handled so for you know years and years and centuries, millennia. It's been handled and it's been changed here, changed. Do you remember when Jesus, when Pontius Pilate says to Jesus, he says, you know, I have the power to kill you. I can you, I can free you, or I can kill you. And Jesus says, you have no power over me. Yes, Pilate had authority on earth. But he was speaking to the Son of the Most High. And Jesus Christ says, you have no power over me. Pilate, you know, a little pompous. I have the power to free you or rescue you. I, 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 can, I can set you free and you get to live. Or, I, you know, I can, you, I can kill you. I have that power. The power is in my hand. He's speaking to Jesus Christ. Son of the Most High. And Jesus Christ is the one who said prior, in his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, Father, take this cup from me. But not my will, Father. Thy will. You see? Complete and total surrender to the Father and in fulfillment of prophecy as a sheep led to the slaughter. He was obedient to the Father even to death. So Pontius Pilate says, you know, I have the power to free you. You're free to go. 
or I have the power to kill you. And Jesus, in obedience to the Father, where you know, the, the, the night in Garden of Gethsemane, he says, Father, take this cup for me. Father, take this cup for me, but not my will. Thy will, complete and total surrender to his Father. Our Father, hallowed be his name. And Jesus Christ looks at Pilate, who has, yes, a carnal authority, but no eyes to see nor ears to hear. And Jesus says to this man, you have no power over me. You have no power over me. I mean, Pontius has power and ability in this world. He has authority in this world according to the flesh. But Jesus Christ tells him, you have no power over me except that which is given to you by my Father. Understand the word became flesh to dwell among us. People tell me all the time, oh, the Bible, you know, it's been written, it's been handled like this, and, you know, things have been added and take away, take, take, taken away and removed. And You're speaking about the logos. The word became flesh. And you assume that man has power over the logos. Just like Jesus says to Pontius, you have no power over me except that which is given by my Father in heaven. So even if you're in, in a mindset, if you're not a believer and you haven't listened to my prior calls to repent and receive Jesus Christ, I say cut it out and you know you, you smirk and you keep listening. Oh, you Christians, you're crazy. There's so many things that are written and added to the Bible and removed and taken away. The Bible today, it's not what was written, you know, the original. You know, I, I concede in that respect. Alexandrian texts, post-Alexandrian texts, I'll concede. That's why we don't study those. Alexandrian, post-Alexandrian. I'll concede in that area. But when you get to the older texts, you get to the older texts, and always being mindful of Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic, excluding, you know, Latin Vulgate. Latin Vulgate, you know, I shouldn't say Latin Vulgate, but, you know, uh, uh, well, you know, Latin Vulgate. Excluding. Because when you have the, the Latin, all these other subtexts are added in accordance to Latin, but it's, you will not find it in original manuscripts. And the word became flesh. What power do you assume man has over the word of God? What power do you assume that man has over the logos, which became flesh? Just like Jesus says to Pilate, you have no power over me. Except, except that which has been given to you by my Father in heaven. And if that's you and you refuse to believe because you're of the mindset that the Bible has been changed and altered and this and that. Now, you get into modern texts, you get into, you know, you look at copyright dates, you get into post-Alexandrian. Yeah, I agree. But when you get into the older texts, manuscripts, 
There is no power over the Logos. The Word became flesh. Refuse to believe no more. And let today be the day of salvation. And you come to Christ right here, right now. And you enthrone the Logos in your heart. When that happens, look at all these passages that now become effectuated. Unto you a child is born. And we see in verse 9, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 9. How you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Look at how these things are now effectuated in you. Now I have to say, if you're a new believer, listen to our studies through Romans and get yourself caught up. Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and then you know get yourself caught up because it will help you grow and mature in Christ. Understanding the moving of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, the gifting of the Holy Spirit. We look at verse 10 where we ended last week. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. And God's wrath is coming. We know that the government will be on his shoulders. And as we see these tyrannical governments on the rise, the governments will be eventually put on his shoulders according to the flesh. He will be crowned king of kings and lord of lords according to the flesh. Prophetically speaking, it will come to pass. But it can happen right here, right now, according to the Spirit. And if you're a believer already, praise be to the Lord, it's already happened. You know, when we look at, you know, I've been in, in like in, in study groups before where, you know, you'll see a pastor and they'll say, oh, you know, there were, when David went to war and, you know, he came back with his, you know, bags of uh, 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 foreskins. Oh, you know, it was a sign for those kings. It was a sign against those people, you know, like to, to, to attack their masculinity so that they see that, oh, you know, they've been emasculated and all these things. And they come up with these carnal explanations. But we know. In accordance to the word of God, Old Testament and New Testament, it just so happens we mentioned circumcision of the heart in our study in Deuteronomy just this Wednesday. We know that circumcision is about belief. And David does come with this bag of foreskins. Which seems odd. I mean, carnally speaking, and according to the flesh, according to Adam, it sounds like what you know. Who goes to war and brings a bag of foreskins of the dead? But it's an Old Testament example of people who refuse to believe while alive. And now that they're dead, they believe. Except for them, it's too late. They are circumcised, but they're dead. Just like Lazarus and the rich man. The rich man didn't believe while alive. But when he died, he believed. But for him, it was too late. Circumcised and dead, 
not good. That's lake of fire. That's hellfire damnation. Straight up, lake of fire, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Not good. But to be circumcised while alive, beautiful. Not according to the flesh, according to the spirit. Not with hands of men. The hand of God in your heart. In Christ, both male and female can be circumcised. A female, a female can be circumcised. Only in Christ. According to the flesh, impossible. Remember the first, the, the first census of numbers? No females. Second census, females. Second census, pass to the promised land. All these things are written. And so we begin our study in continuation, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we see how we ended last week, how the, the Lord delivers us from the wrath to come. God's wrath is coming. Orge. Orge. Thumos, that's Satan's wrath. And Satan will have wrath, and we're going to see it even more, exponentially increase in these last days, because he knows his time is short. He roams around like a lion waiting for whom he may devour. But when he and the demons and, you know, the, the, the demonic realm, they know their time is short. Remember when, you know, Jesus with Legion and, you know, they say to Jesus, you know, have you come before the time? Have you come before the proper time? They know they are fully aware. And so they're amping up their attacks for such a time as this. They know their time is short. You see, all these, it's written. And God's judgment, God's wrath. God's wrath is coming. You know, we have to make these distinctions between judgment and wrath. Judgment and wrath. People say, oh, it's one and the same. Well, you know, I get that. I understand that. But God uses plagues in Egypt. Remember, he used plague after plague after plague after plague after plague. And then, boom, wrath. But Israel was still in Egypt. A little, little side area called Goshen. And when darkness befell Egypt, there was light in Goshen. And that's a picture of the last day's church. Plague after plague after plague after plague. And then wrath. But right before wrath, Exodus, the rapture of the church. I do not teach a pre-tribulation rapture. Why? It is unbiblical. You will not find it in the Bible. Now, if you're, you're a believer and you're pre-tribulation, I love you. I don't hate you. I've been, I've been called the Satanist. I've been called, you know, oh, you worship the devil. You don't teach pre-tribulation. I do not teach pre-tribulation rapture. It's not in the Bible. Listen to our study. Two studies. Listen to our study. The first one is called Jacob's Trouble, Biblically Explained. And then the ne next one is called When is the Rapture? Listen to those two studies. And then listen to a third one. It's called Do Not Take the Mark of the Beast. And you'll hear Reformed Pastor say, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. For such a time as this, you're starting to see the rise of demonic forces because they know their time is short. Satan, he knows his time is short, but then at the same time, you're starting to see the rise of his servants teaching things that are outside of the Bible in accordance to theories 
outside of the Bible. So here we are in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse 1. But you yourselves know, I love this so much because they have firsthand knowledge. Brother Paul is pouring into these believers in Thessalonica. He says, for you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. Now, remember, we looked at this last week when we looked at chapter 1, how Paul comes into town and he was there for three Sabbaths. He'd go into the synagogue. That was his custom to go and reason with the synagogue, to go in the synagogue and reason with the Jews and the religious leaders. And he would prove from the scriptures, from the scrolls, from Torah, from the prophets, he would prove that Jesus is the Messiah. He would prove he was very effective, a student of Gamaliel. Gamaliel wasn't just like, you know, a run-of-the-mill teacher. Gamaliel trained priesthood. Gamaliel trained Kohanim. He said before he came to Christ that he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was hardcore. Tribe of Benjamin. He comes to Christ. Paul learns, remember our references in Galatians, when we, when we study Galatians, we do overlay in the book of Acts and you see how Paul didn't, uh, he didn't go to the disciples in Jerusalem, he didn't go to the apostles, he didn't immediately go to the apostles to find out, you know, wow, I'm a new believer. No, he went to Jesus Christ, he goes to the source himself. Remember, he goes to Arabia, like left field, you figure like, wow, you know, Paul's a new believer, he's going to go to Jerusalem and he goes into Arabia, it's like, whoa, that's left field. Why? He goes to have intimacy with the Lord. Oneness with him. And you see Paul, he grows and matures in Christ, the knowledge of the faith in accordance to the new covenant, not the old covenant. The old covenant was created with loopholes. Why? To make room for the better covenant, which is Jesus Christ. The law points to Jesus Christ. Listen to our study through the Torah, you know, Genesis, uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And then also listen to our study through Galatians and you'll understand more. The law is holy. The law is holy, but it paint, it points to the greater glory, more holy, which is Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the law. And so Paul, it was his custom to go into synagogue. Remember, he had little Timmy, beautiful, beautiful little Timmy. He had him circumcised. And he had him circumcised so that, you know, little Timmy... You're going to accompany me into synagogue because if you're uncircumcised, you can't go into synagogue. And little Timmy, you're circumcised now. And, you know, you have a Jewish mom, a Gentile dad, and, you know, which was frowned upon and accorded by the uh, uh, religious leaders. And Paul says, no, we're going to get you circumcised. Boom, circumcision. And, you know, it, it, it's so that he can train him up. Grow him so that, you know, Timmy, you're going to come with me. We're going to enter synagogue and you're going to watch me fight. Not watch me fight to see how awesome I am. To watch me fight because I'm gonna be old. I'm gonna die, and you know, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll probably be killed. But you're gonna be up soon. It's gonna be your turn, little Timmy. You're gonna be my wingman, little Timmy. You're gonna come with me in the synagogue, and you're gonna watch me fight. Not to see how. Oh, look, Timmy, look how awesome I am. No, humility before the Lord. Because little Timmy, you're going to watch me fight. And one day, this fight, it's going to be yours. And you're going to fight this good fight of faith. 
because it was prophesied that you're going to be a pastor. And we got to get you trained up, little Timmy. You see? Picture little Timmy sitting there seeing Paul. Reason. I mean, the religious leaders, they break up their scrolls and they say this, they say that. And Paul says, it is also written. Referencing here, referencing there, referencing here, referencing there. Proving that Jesus is the Messiah. And they would walk out of the synagogue and all of a sudden people would follow them. Because they would believe, wow, Jesus Christ, he really is the Messiah. I thought these Christians were crazy, but Paul really broke it down. He really is the Messiah. And the religious leaders got mad. And in the case of Thessalonica, for three Sabbaths, that's what Paul did. Going to synagogue. So he's there, not for a long period of time. And the world was turned upside down. We see uh, 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 passages in the book of Acts in that time frame. In, in Philippi and, you know, in Ephesus and different regions. And there was a great commotion that happened. Great a commotion arose about the way. They didn't call Christians Christians back then. They called them a people of the way. They followed Jesus. They're of the way. Oh, they're Christians. They're the way. They didn't say they didn't, they weren't called Christians. They were called the way. This world in Thessalonica was turned upside down. The the religious leaders, the Judaizers, they were mad. And so what did they do? They go, I mean, listen to our study from last week in chapter one. And they go and they get the rebel rousers of town. We got to get Paul. We got to get this little bubble. That little guy, Timmy, that's with them. We got to get him too. They couldn't find them. So they did the home invasion in Jason's house. Paul leaves. He goes into the region of Berea and other areas. I mean, when you see, the, you do the overlay of the book of Acts, you see how the Lord is using him. And the Lord is uh, using Paul as a vessel, that his vessel, sharing the good news, spreading the word of God, bringing people to Christ. A mighty warrior, but he's got his fishing pole. He's got his net with him. And at the same time, it's like, wait a second, what about the saints in Thessalonica? Paul's not here anymore now. Now what do we do? I mean, picture that. You and me, we go back in time and we're in Thessalonica. We're residents of Thessalonica. What You know, Paul's not here anymore. What do we do? Remember, there's two years, a two-year gap between, you know, the 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 the, uh, the, uh, the overlay in the book of Acts and 1 Thessalonians, the first letter to the Thessalonican church. A two-year gap. You and me, we go back in time. We're Thessalonican saints. We believe in Jesus Christ. But remember, the cost of being a Christian is heavy. Not not necessarily under the thumb of Rome. Because you look at the timetable. And yes, there is Roman persecution. But it's not as heavy as it's going to be as, as, it, as it gets. But there's the thumb of the religious leaders. The thumb of the Judaizers, which is also heavy. That was straight up home invasion. And if you and me were in our time machine, we're Thessalonican saints. And if we follow Paul's teachings, man, it's dangerous to be a Christian. If we follow what Paul says, what, what do we have to look forward to? Home invasion? Is that what we have to look forward to? 
when Paul says in verse 1, our coming to you was not in vain. There might be a home invasion. There might be this according to the flesh. There might be that according to the flesh. There might be this. Remember, the world is at enmity with God. Jesus Christ says, remember, they hated me first. But to look even further into the future, as he says in chapter 1 at the end of verse at the end of verse 10, actually verse 10, to wait for his son from heaven. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 10. To wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Yes, there is an immediate and present risk and danger, but look beyond that. Look past that as we await the return of Jesus Christ. He says in chapter 2, verse 1, that our coming to you was not in vain. He says in verse 2, but even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, now in Acts 16, remember, we study, if, you were, if you've been walking with us for a while, you remember our study in the book of Acts. And in Acts 16, you see how Paul and, you know, and, 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 and this little bubble, not all of them, but, you know, the, the, he was captured. They were stripped, beaten, and imprisoned. That's what happened. And Paul says, I mean, you, you picture that. He says in verse 2, we were spitefully treated at Philippi. As you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you. Now, put that in perspective. They're in Philippi. Paul is stripped, beaten, and jailed. Does he get out and say, okay, I'm done. I, I, I'm done. I don't like to be down. I don't like to be naked. I don't like to be beaten. I don't like to be in, you know, in, put in, in, in the prison. So I'm done. No. He's a vessel of the Lord. He was even more bold. He became emboldened in our God, he says, to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict, which is contention. At the end of verse 2, he says, in much conflict, which is contention and heavy fight. In the thick of it. In the thick of the fight, you figure, wow, wow, he's in, he's naked, beaten, but you know, imprisoned, and you know, all of a sudden, it's like, okay, he, you know, he gets out of prison now, and now he's done. Okay, he's done now. No, he's emboldened, and it's not just imprisoned. You read the book of Acts, and you see, like, wow, you know what? He was beaten, left for dead over here, over there, in different regions. Here, there was, you know, the the uproar that happened in Thessalonica. It's like, wow, you know, this he's not like the average bear. Remember our study in the book of Acts? Now it's not to it's not to exalt and deify Paul. Remember, Paul says of himself, I'm dead. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, he says, We're trash. I'm trash. You're the field, you're the building. As for us, we're the scum of the earth, he says. Listen to our study through 1 Corinthians 3, you'll understand. Pastors. Take note. If you're on a high horse, get off. If you're a pastor and you're on a high horse, get off. Because Paul says, we are the scum. We're the scum of the earth. The building, it's not a building brick and mortar. It's the saints. 
It's the souls of those who are sitting in the pews, pastor. If you're a pastor and you like your pastor parking spot and you have your special pastor seating area and you have your special this and pastor and you know you have these titles oh yeah i'm a bishop and oh look i'm a, you know the high priestess oh look i'm a prophet i'm a high priest and all this and that get off that horse go on hiatus seek the face of the lord repent of your pride and arrogance because pastors and teachers were trash the scum of the earth. Oh, I got this nice building. Look, it's on the waterfront and all this. You know what God's building is? It's the people. Lamb, sheep. Male, female, old, young. Black, white, pink, blue, purple. Color doesn't matter. That's God's building, pastor. If you're on a high horse, get off that high horse. Go on hiatus and seek the face of the Lord. And you might have to step down completely. No more pastoring. Very evil times that we're living in. Very evil days that we're living in. And Paul says in verse 2, he says, We were bold in our God to speak. You say, he's in Philippi. And then he goes to Thessalonica. He doesn't go home and lick his wounds, so to speak. He was emboldened to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. I love that so much. That's in the thick of battle. I mean, like, you're taking hit after hit after hit in a fight, in a battle. You're taking hit after hit after hit. And you know what? You're going to go home and lick your wounds? No. You're going to fight even more. Each hit, you're more emboldened. Each hit, you're like more emboldened. I love that so much. Because you see, wow, this is straight up. This is warrior behavior. This is Paul. This entourage, this bubble learning about ministry. Silas, little Timmy, not so little. at Well, he's little at this time. Not so little in the previous book. But it's kind of little here, time-wise. Priscilla, Aquila, Lydia, Chloe. All these beautiful people that have learned. And they pour out. This holy bubble, so to speak. Fighters, warriors. Retreat? No way. I hate that word. You know, people say it all the time. Oh, we got to have a church retreat. Let's go over here. Let's go camping over here. Church retreat. And I get that. You know, it's we, we can fellowship over here. We can fellowship over there. But retreat, I just don't like that word. Retreat? No way. Did Paul retreat in Philippi? No. On to Thessalonica. Did he retreat from Thessalonica? No, on to Berea. You see? On to Ephesus. Sharing the good news. It's in the thick of battle. Taking a hit, that's nice. Another hit, that's nice. Another hit, that's nice. Don't forget offense. 
Christians, we go on offense. There's the defensive posture, but we also go on offense, not according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal in nature. They are spiritual and powerful to bring down, bring down strongholds. To bring, you know, when I have these conversations with Satanists, it's, it gets pretty deep. These long conversations with Satanists because a lot of them know their Bibles. And they turn to Satan because they've been, you know, uh, uh, mistreated by Christians. And they've been mistreated. And some of them are former Christians. They believed in Jesus Christ, but they were in churches that were straight up crazy. Pastors that were in crazy. Their doctrine was wrong. And so when I have these conversations with the Satanists, they're kind of like taken aback because it's like, whoa, you, you know, you're a Christian and you agree with me? Yeah. I'm a Christian. If you're a Satanist, I agree you shouldn't fellowship in that church. Why? Because their doctrine is crazy town. And you left rightfully. But the problem was what you went to. You went to the seducer. Who says, oh yeah, you don't, you, you, you don't want anything to do with these Christians. They believe in Jesus and they're crazy. So here, come to me. And the person does that and becomes a Satanist. But what the Bible says, you're in a fellowship. And the preacher guy, he has a different Jesus, a different gospel, another spirit, not the Holy Spirit. And you sensed that. You sensed that something was wrong there. Praise be to the Lord because that's the Holy Spirit, the conviction of the Spirit. And you rightfully jumped ship. The problem is what you jumped to. You see? Prophetically speaking, I shouldn't say prophetically speaking because it was in the, in the days of the apostle. Paul warns the Christians, warns saints. He says, you guys might well put up with it, the preacher guy who comes in. Presenting another, another Jesus, another gospel, another spirit. You guys might well put up with it, he says. Listen to our study through 2 Corinthians. Might as well do all the Corinthians first and second. And so you have churches today who have who are putting up with it, putting up with the false teacher, putting up with the pseudodelphos, putting up with the servants of Satan, bringing people into bondage. There's no power. Why? Because only the Holy Spirit has power. There is power in the Holy Spirit. You know, holy power, power from on high, that only comes through the Holy Spirit. But these other spirits, that's not holy power. And so the Holy Spirit, you know, people feel this conviction of like, wait a second, something's wrong here. The pastor's teaching something that's not in the Bible. The pastor wants to do this, or the pastor's a wolf. Look, he's molesting these girls. Look, he's molesting these boys and all this and whatever, all these disgusting things. And people rightfully leave those churches, rightfully leave those churches. Me personally, I have a big problem with molestation. I don't, I have to be very careful because I want to be judge, jury, and executioner. Emphasis on executioner on child molesters. That's just me if I can expose my flesh a little bit. I'm a work in progress. You know, I don't want to gloss over, you know, child molestation like it's no big deal. It's a huge deal. And it's a big deal for me because in my heart, in my mind, and in my flesh, 
When I hear of pastors who are child molesters, I personally want to be the judge, the jury, and the executioner. Emphasis on execution. Nice and slow. But I don't have to. You know, praise the Lord because we have a legal system. You know, send them to prison. You have churches today, they want to save face. You know, you have a pastor who says, oh, our, our, our youth leader, he was involved with this. He did this with the teenage girl. And, you know, let's not call the police. Let's put everything under the rug. And, oh, yeah, let's exercise grace and mercy. Let's be gracious here. Fools. Wicked, wicked wolves. Be gracious. What about the victim? What about the victim, foolish pastor? You call yourself a pastor. You're a wolf, servant of Satan. And so people recognize this and they jump ship and they leave their incense rightfully. I want nothing to do with this. Yes, I want nothing to do with that either. And I want people to have nothing to do with that. But what are you jumping to? Oh, I want nothing to do with that. I'm going to jump in the ship of Mary. I'm going to jump in the ship of Buddha. I'm going to jump in the ship of Satan. No, it's they're all sinking ships. There's only one ark that leads to paradise. Which is why you hear us say, jump ship. Welcome aboard. To have these long conversations with Satanists. And for Satanists, I mean, it's the oddest thing. I mean, you, if you were to hear, you'd be like, what in the world? This, this Satanist is actually a nice guy. This Satanist girl, she's actually a nice lady. Because they've been deceived. Former Christians. They believed. And because of the work of the servant of Satan, wicked pastors, they call themselves pastors, but they're wolves and hirelings. They think they know the Bible. And in some cases, they do know the Bible, but there's no power, no spirit. Remember, just we just studied this last week, First Thessalonians chapter 1, the caliber. You know what to look for. Learn to make bread, store your oil because these days are evil. There is a famine of the word of God. It's one of the signs of the last days, a famine of the word of God. Where can it be found? Where? So people jump ship. They realize, wow, something's wrong here. They jump ship. What are you jumping to? There's only one ark. One ark that leads to paradise. And I love this so much because Paul is reassuring the saints in Thessalonica. Listen, when we came to you, it was not in vain in verse 1. It wasn't in vain. We suffered in Philippi. And when we after Philippi, we didn't lick our wounds and go home. No, in the thick of battle, we took hits, but we kept on going. You see? As you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. In verse 3, for our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness. I love this because just... Not just the reassurance, but remember in chapter 1 when Paul makes mention of the caliber, you know what caliber? 
Our exhortation, he says in verse 3, did not come from error, which is the work of the deceiver or the imposter or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. Now, the deceit here, it's a decoy to trick or entrap. Remember, at this particular moment, two years after uh, the the overlay of the book of Acts, you know, two years later, Paul writes this letter to the Thessalonican saints. And the thumb of Rome wasn't really heavy. It was heavy, but not super heavy. But there was the thumb of the Judaizers and the religious leaders who were blind and deaf, which was very heavy. That's straight up home invasion material. You see? We give you the example, you and me, we go in our time machine, you and me, we go in our time machine, we're saints in Thessalonica, and we feel that heavy thumb of the religious leaders, that heavy thumb of the Judaizers who uh, stoked the fire, so to speak, and with the home invasion with Jason, and, you know, Paul's not here anymore, and we're like, wow, you know, what what, what do you do? Do we go back to the old life so that we won't have to suffer these things? Do we go back to the old life, or do we continue in this new life? You see? Don't forget that Jesus, our Lord himself, he tells us to count the cost. In Luke 14, verse 28, he says, count the cost. And it's not just count the cost for the sake of counting the cost. He says, count the cost whether a person has enough, not for the sake that a person has enough. Count the cost whether a person has enough to finish, to finish. You look at a marathon at the, at the starting line, packed. It is packed at the starting line. Hundreds and hundreds of people. You see athletes. You see chubby people. You see men and women and kids and old people and all these different people, sometimes super old people. You know, you might see like, you know, somebody with their stroller and, you know, they're going to go with their kid. And But then you see the super athletes. Every jam-packed at the starting line. Boom, gun goes off and people start moving. You and me, we get in a car. <laughs> you and me, we get in a car and we go to the finish line. And we're there at the finish line. Two hours later, three hours later, it's a long marathon, three hours later. We've eaten, we've had a lunch, you know, we're full. And there we are at the finish line. Who do you see come across the finish line? Nobody's come across yet. Who do you see come across? The athletes. And then, you know, three and a half hours later, it's all done. They say, okay, it's a wrap, we're done. And so everything's done. You look at everybody who came across the finish line. It's like, well, that's, that's like 50 people. There was hundreds before. At the starting point, there was hundreds. Why are there only 50? What happened? We, we go and approach the officials and, you know, they got the numbers, they got the stats. And what happened to this guy, this guy, this lady, this lady, this guy, this lady, this, this kid, this old guy, this old lady? What happened to that? Oh, they fell out. They gave up. They didn't finish. They got halfway and they had a good time at the halfway point, but the old guy's knee busted out, and so he stopped. It's like okay, it's just a marathon, you know. It's just a you know, just a marathon. And then we go get some dessert. 
But at the finish, at the, at the starting point, it's a piece of cake. You get chubby people that, you know, they got their, you know, their, their, their bandana, their sweatbands on, and they look like, they dress like athletes, but, you know, they also got a belly. But who makes it across the finish line? It's the athlete. You see? It's the athlete. That's these exhortations that we see to lay aside those things which so easily ensnare us so that we can run our race with endurance. Now, I say like the chubby guy, but you know, in Christ, I don't care if you're chubby. In Christ, I don't care how old you are, how young you are. In Christ, we're one, male, female. In Christ, there's no slave, free, rich, poor, Jew, Gentile, male, female. In Christ, there's none of that. So we look at like chubby people, you know, old people, the guy with the bum knee, all this. In Christ, I don't care. But what about those things which so easily ensnare us? Now, when we look at those things which can slow us down in terms of like a, a, a carnal race, is it like, you know, a big belly? Is it a bum knee? Well, what about according to the spirit, according to the faith in our walk with Christ? Is it drugs? Pornography? Strippers, prostitutes, Buddha, the occult, Ouija boards, lying, cheating, backbiters, lovers of money. Anybody can start a race. That's a piece of cake. Piece of cake. That is super easy. But who finishes well? When Jesus says count the cost, he doesn't say count the cost at the starting point to see if you can start. He says count the cost, see whether a person has enough so that they can finish. You see, you and me, we count the cost. The cost of being a Christian is heavy. The closer you are to Jesus Christ, the further you will be from the world and carnal, all things carnal, all things of the flesh, the closer you are to Christ, your closest of friends will hate you. The closer you are to Christ. I mean, according to the flesh, if they're Christians, you know, praise be to the Lord. But even among Christians, you might have like, you know, baby Christians. You know, praise the Lord for baby Christians, but babies should be babies. And when I say babies should be babies, I mean like the Goo Goo Gaga, you see that in like, you know, you know, five months old. But then like, you know, a 50 year old saying Goo Goo Gaga, ugly, not pretty, kind of gross, disgusting, nasty, not good. Being a baby should be for babies, not for those who are mature. We grow and we mature in Christ. And with growth and maturity, the world will hate you. Remember, the, the religious leaders, they put up with Paul. They put up with his antics, so to speak. They put up with him. Oh, yeah, this guy, he, he used to be one of us, but he's a Christian now. And Okay. Oh, he goes into synagogue. Okay. No big deal. Oh, but he's getting more knowledgeable. Now he's in the synagogue and it was okay, you know, last year it was okay, it was okay two years ago, but 
Now he's taking these scrolls, he's taking the law, he's taking the, the these the, the covenant, the old covenant, he's taking and he's proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Paul himself became deadly. According to the faith. Metaphysically speaking, not according to the flesh. He became deadly. Why? Because he was winning souls for Christ. Winning souls to Christ. And when the religious leaders saw this and realized what was happening, where before, no big deal, but now, now we got to kill him. Because he was growing more intimate with Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High. Did he stop? No. Did he stop at Philippi? No. In the thick of battle, he kept going. And that's what's going to happen in the last days. You're going to be in the thick of battle. If you're a Christian, you're going to be in the thick of battle. Do you give up? Do you fight? No. Why? Because we count the cost. People, I mean, ultimately, they're going to want you dead. Ultimately, in these last days, I mean, the, 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 the pinnacle of, you know, the, the world being against you as a Christian, as Jesus Christ in you and you in Christ. And Jesus Christ says, remember, they hated me first and they killed him. But for saints in the last days, the, 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 the pinnacle of this world against us will be, you got to die. We got to die. Straight up heads chopped off. We don't take the mark of the beast. People say, oh, we're not going to be here when the mark of the beast comes. That's according to pre-tribulation rapture theory, which is just a theory. Something that I don't teach. Why? It's not in the Bible. Listen to those three studies we mentioned earlier. The first one being Jacob's trouble, biblically explained. The next one being, uh, 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 when is the rapture? And the next one being, uh, 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 do not take the mark of the beast. And you hear, pastor, reformed pastor, study Bible guy. Go ahead, Christians, go ahead, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. It's a lie from the pit of hell. But he serves his father, the devil. For such a time as this, Prominent teachers, prominent pastors are deviating away from the truth of God. Why? Because they're servants of Satan. They don't want you to pass the finish line. But Jesus Christ says, count the cost to see whether you have enough to finish, not enough to get the finish at at the starting point, not enough midway, not enough at like the last part, like, you know, just before the finish line, enough to finish. Paul counted the cost. Titus counted the cost. Timothy counted the cost. Priscilla, Aquila, they counted the cost. Why not us? Why not you? Why not me? Why not us together? You you will take hits. People will hate you. Christians will hate you. They'll call you stupid, they'll call you mean, they'll call you this, they'll call you that. But you know what? That's nice. Ultimately, they're going to want your head. You will be alone. Are you going to give up the fight? No, we finish well. We count the cost and we finish well. Not give up at the midway point. That's apostasy, which is prophesied to happen a lot of Christians. A majority of Christians won't come to the finish line. 
It's called apostasy. Remember the four categories of the last day's church. False, apostate, entering apostasy, or true. I mean, for easy math, if we just get the even distribution, that's 25% that will cross the finish line. But it's not 25%. It's probably smaller, much smaller. It's called a remnant of the last days. A remnant of the last days. People who know how to make a bread because... There's going to be a famine, but they know how to make bread. They have oil for their lamps because there's not going to be oil. Foolish virgins will run out of oil. You see? But when you know how to make bread, you store oil for your lamp, and there's a famine of the Word of God everywhere. And your home, as with you, Goshen. Light with the people of God when darkness befalls the earth. And Jesus Christ in Luke 14, verse 28, he says, Count the cost with the sea if you have enough to finish. Jesus Christ in the same passage says, Whoever does not forsake all cannot, cannot be my disciple. He also says in the same passage that when salt has lost its flavor, it's good for it, it, it is not good for the land nor for the dunghill. I don't want to get graphic, but I mean, if it's not good for the land, that's one thing, but to, to be so bad and uh, to, 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 be, to be not fit for the land, I get that. To be not fit for the dunghill? Whoa. And he says that men throw it out. Men throw it out. Christians in these last days, saints in these last days, my beautiful brothers and sisters, we have to get, I'll say comfortable. I don't like to say comfortable, but we must get comfortable with the idea, not the idea, but we have to get acclimated to what God's judgment looks like. We have to get very acclimated to God's judgment and what that looks like. We see it in the Old Testament with the tyrannical government led by Nebuchadnezzar. And this tyrannical government led by Nebuchadnezzar, I say so-called tyrannical government because God says, Nebuchadnezzar is my servant. He was a vessel used to chastise Judah. And when I say we got to get comfortable with judgment or, and I, I, I don't want to say comfortable, but I also want to stay, say comfortable. I want to say acclimated and comfortable. And not that, that, you know, we be, that we are to be comfortable in the state of judgment but comfortable with the idea, the notion, and the reality. Because look at Canada, for example. For my Canadian brothers and sisters, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you more than you can possibly imagine. And you see, patriots, according to the flesh, in Canada, Christians, 
And they say, oh, you know, this, 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 uh, Trudeau, you know, we have this guy, he's the leader and he better understand that, that God puts these people in power and he removes people from power and woe be to him. He better understand this. Woe be to him. And I get that perspective. I get it. I understand. For my Canadian brothers and sisters, I love you. But if that's your mindset, you're wrong. Because the Bible gives us clear indication of how the Lord works when he judges a nation, when he judges a people who get further and further and further and further and further away from him. Look at the things that are accepted. I say Canada. But look at America. Look at Western culture. Look at certain nations across the globe. When God has become forgotten, look at what, what, what God did to Egypt when Egypt, when Egypt forgot God. Because God saved Egypt. God was graceful, gracious, gracious, merciful, and loving unto Egypt. Because remember, there was a famine and God rescued them. He used his vessel, Joseph. And in the course of time, Egypt forgot God. In the course of time, Egypt forgot God and enslaved God's people, Israel. People today, they're mad at tyrannical governments. Oh, how dare you enslave us? How dare you enslave us? We have rights. We have rights. But what happens when a nation forgets the Lord? God judges. Oh, how dare this president do this? How dare this prime minister do this? How dare this king do this? God places kings and presidents and he appoints prime ministers and he does that and woe be to them. Yes, God God places kings and leaders. He does, absolutely, 100%. But not woe to them. Woe to us. Woe to us. Because the people have forgotten the Lord. You see? That's what happens when salt loses its flavor in Matthew 5. Matthew says, Matthew records and says that Jesus, it's good for, when salt loses its flavor, it's good for nothing than to be thrown, trampled underfoot by men. Dr. Luke says, flavorless salt. It's not, it's not good for the land, nor for the dunghill. Matthew says it's, you know, it, 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 it trampled underfoot by men. Dr. Luke says it's not good for, it's not good for the land or dunghill. Men throw it out. And that's what happens when salt loses its, its flavor. Churches, flavorless salt. Christians, flavorless salt. Laodicea. Remember, we just studied that. Laodicea, Jesus Christ on the outside. Oh, but look, it's a group of Christians. Okay, I get that. I concede, a group of Christians. But let me ask you a question. Why in the world is Jesus Christ on the outside? Why is he on the outside knocking, saying, let me in, let me in? Well, I mean, if you let me in, I will hear and come in and sup with you. 
which is a beautiful passage, a very beautiful passage. That, you know, I stand at the door and knock, and if you hear me, I will come in and sup with you. And it is used very appropriately in evangelistic, uh, from an evangelistic perspective, in bringing people to Christ. Because, yes, Jesus Christ desires that intimacy. But when you look at the passage in Laodicea, it is written to church, church Laodicea, a condition of the church, a condition of the last day's church. No Christ. Flavorless salt. And when God is forgotten, yes, the grace and mercy, it's still there. But it's not as loud. It's not as prominent. Lights start to go out. Salt loses its flavor at an exponential rate. Look at in Jeremiah's day. Yeah, they had priests. They had prophets. But who was speaking for the Lord? I shouldn't say for the Lord. You know, who was speaking and yielding to the Lord? Who was the Lord's vessel? You see? Carnally speaking, you could look at a priest and be like, wow, surely he knows what he's talking about. You look at a prophet, surely he knows what he's talking about. I'm not going to listen to Jeremiah. Look, he's crazy. I'm not going to listen to Jeremiah. Look, they called him the weeping and the lonely prophet. Look, he's got, look, we go to synagogue here and we got 5,000 people in this synagogue. We look at Jeremiah and there's nobody. The lonely prophet, what is he crying for? Come on, Jeremiah, you know. What's wrong with you, Jeremiah? Why are you crying? Nobody nobody likes you, Jeremiah. Jeremiah, get out of here. You're, you're, you're good for nothing, Jeremiah. Get out of here. We're going to go to look. We go to the synagogue. We have like, we go to the temple here. We got 5,000 people. Look, surely the Lord is with us. We're of the elect. Jeremiah was weeping for the people. He was weeping for them. He was lonely. A vessel of the Lord, lonely. Why? God was forgotten. You see? Enter Nebuchadnezzar, servant of the Most High. Whoa. So Christians, patriots, I love you. Canadian, American, European, African, Arab countries, South America, Central America, wherever it is, China, wherever it is. I love you. But as we get further into the events of the last days, as prophesied according to scripture, understand judgment and what that looks like. Plagues and what that looks like. The thumb of two thumbs, one from the religious leaders and the other from the political leaders. And all that's implied. Christians will hate you. They say they believe in Jesus Christ, but Jesus on the outside, loud to say it, will hate you. And just like Jeremiah, you'll weep for them. 
you see? That's, that's the formula. I mean, there's other aspects of the formula, but that's, these are the blueprints laid before us in the word of God. Oh, but God blesses nations. Yes, absolutely. He blesses nations. He also curses nations. Listen to our study through Deuteronomy 28. The blessings of obedience and the curses of disobedience. Listen to our study through Deuteronomy 28 because you'll understand, you'll know more and you'll understand. And understanding the knowledge of the word of God is a gift of the Holy Spirit. And in so doing, also understand that, yes, God does, he blesses and curses individuals, regions, countries, and in the last days, the entire world. God, he's just doing exactly what he said he would do. That's, that's it. He's, he is going to do, he's doing it now, but he's going to do exactly exactly what he said he would do. But then you have wolves like Rick Warren. Oh, don't, don't bother with that. People who, who study the prophecies and know the prophecies, they're, they're not fit for the kingdom of heaven. Who would say such a thing but a servant of Satan? You see? Behold the last days. And so we continue here in verse four. Remember, you and me, we go back in our time machine. You know, what do we do? You know, but you know, Paul was here a couple years ago. We got this letter, and you know, and you know, what do we do? Do we go back to the old life? No, we just stay in this life in Christ, this new life in Christ. We've counted the cost. You know, we're not running for the to the to the to the midpoint. We're not running to get three quarters of the way through. Even though there's this guy who says, go ahead and take the mark of the beast, we'll still be saved. We understand biblically that he's crazy, that he's a servant of Satan. We're going to the straight up finish line and we're going to finish well. We look at the caliber of Paul. We look at the caliber of our teacher. We look at the caliber of our pastor. He doesn't come with the word only. He comes with the power and the Holy Spirit. We look at the caliber. And Paul says here in verse 4, But as we have been approved by God. Remember, this is Paul's bubble. We make this distinction. Remember in our study in 1 Corinthians 3, we make the distinction between field and workers or workers and building. Of the workers, Paul says, we're the scum of the earth. We're trash. You guys, you are God's building. You are beautiful. And this is what God is doing. You guys are like kings. For us, not so good. For you, awesome. Pastor, get off your high horse. If you're a pastor, ministry leader, and you're on your high horse, you got your special parking spot. You got your special seating. You like the accolades of men. Get off the high horse, go on hiatus, and seek the face of the Lord. You might have to step down. Repent, too. But you might have to step down. No more pastoring. Why? Because you do not meet the biblical qualifications. It could be. But when you go on hiatus and you seek the face of the Lord, he will reveal, he will, he will reveal to you. If you're up to snuff, so to speak, using the word of God as our measure. 
He says, but as we have been approved by God, this is Paul's bubble, Paul, uh, Timothy, Titus, Silas, Dr. Luke, as we in, in this holy bubble, this next generation of ministry leaders and, you know, current generation with Paul. As we have been approved by God, which is approved here is to be examined, tested and approved. You know, Paul's not a guy that says, oh, I want to do good for my community. So I think I'm going to tell them about Jesus. I'm going to do habit, join Habitats for Humanity. I want to do good for my, my, my community. So I think I'm going to tell them the good news about Jesus. And when, when Paul teaches, I mean, we've studied the book of Acts. When Paul teaches verbally and when he teaches, when he, you know, the, the written word, the spoken word and the written word. Of some, I mean, look at how gentle he was in, to the Philippians, the Philippian saints. Look at how gentle he was to the Philippian saints. Look at how gentle he was in the, the in Colossae. But then you get into Galatians, you get into Corinthians, it's like, whoa, he's hardcore. You know, have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? He says that to the Galatian saints, to the Corinthian saints, he says, you know, the more I love you, the more you hate me. Because there are some hard truths that Paul teaches and explains. But look at the caliber. As we have been approved by God, which is examined, tested, and approved by God in verse 4, to be entrusted with the gospel. Do you know how hardcore that is? That the Son of the Most High, approved by God, you know, you know, Jesus, Jesus Christ, but I meant, you know, the, the God the Father. To be entrusted with the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. I mean, there's people, you might have people in your life that you can't trust with five bucks. You can't trust with $20. You surely can't trust them with $100. And maybe you can't even trust them with a quarter, 25 cents. But for God to entrust a vessel with the gospel, the good news of his son, it's no small thing. The gospel of Jesus Christ, son of the most high God. And in this bubble of Paul, we see Paul, Titus, Timothy, Luke. We see all these beautiful people, Priscilla, Achilla, Lydia, Chloe, Phoebe. All these beautiful people, male, female, young, old. It doesn't matter. Entrusted with the gospel. You know, there's people you can't, you know, you say, here, here, hold this $100 bill for me. You come back, you know, a week later. Let me have my $100 back. Oh. I lost it. I lost it. Oh, I spent it. Oh, look, you know, look, I had to, I, I had to buy groceries. Surely you're a Christian, aren't you? And they give you a little guilt trip. You're a Christian, aren't you? Doesn't God want you to, you know, feed the poor? Doesn't God want you to feed me? So I, I bought my, I bought groceries with it. So I'm sorry, you know, you be a good Christian. It's not about that. Yes, I'm not, you know, speaking negatively about feeding the poor. <laughs> But don't forget, when Jesus Christ fed, you know, you look at uh, John chapter 6, the great subtraction, we like to call it. The great subtraction. And when you look at John 6 and you read the entirety of that chapter, count the number of people. In John 6, at the very beginning, thousands and thousands, 5,000 plus. Thousands and thousands of people, multitudes of people. And he feeds the multitudes. 
very beautiful, feeding them. But then he moves to another location and the people are following him. And you figure, wow, this is beautiful. And then he turns around and says, you guys aren't following me because of what I say. You're following me because your bellies are full. And then people were offended and they left. Now you see the beginning of subtraction. Thousands and thousands of thousands dwindle to a couple thousand. Dwindle to a thousand. Dwindle to hundreds. And then they all leave and now there's the the disciples, which are in the hundreds. People who are following him as disciples, learning from him. He says even more. He turns to the disciples and says, does this offend you? And then people left him and followed him no more. And then finally, there's 12. You see, when you read John 6, multitudes, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people feeding the poor. Beautiful. But it's not about the bellies. It's about the heart, the circumcision. Full bellies does not often, most of the time, a full belly does not mean a circumcised heart. A lot of times Christians get into trouble because, oh, I want to... I want to feed these people. I want to feed this, feed this, feed this, feed this. Remember in our study, when we had these in, in Corinthians, we make mention of the book of Acts. We make mention in all our studies. Well, not all of them, but I mean in, in all the books, almost all the books, but we make mention of it quite a bit. Whenever these ministries are happening, these evangel- evangelistic ministries are happening, such as feeding, there always has to be a door presented and the door, capital D, which is Jesus Christ. It's not just feeding for the sake of feeding. It's not just clothing for the sake of clothing. Also give Christ. Also give the good news. And if there's the door presented, a means by which a person can enter that door, a means by which a person can enter that door and grow and mature in Christ. And that is ministry. Biblical ministry. You get, you see, so-called, I'm doing my air quotes, so-called ministries that you know, uh, feed people and house and do all these things. I get that. That's like a habitat for, for humanity. But when Jesus Christ is not given, Jesus Christ is not mentioned, that's all it is, habitat for humanity. A full belly is not a circumcised heart. And that's what we desire, circumcision of heart. You see? And so when you see when Paul says we've been entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak in verse 4, In this manner is how it translates. Even so we speak. In this manner we speak. Notice, he's been approved. Not just Paul, but as we, speaking of this bubble, he also refers to this bubble as the scum of the earth, the trash. 1 Corinthians 3. Examined, tested, and approved by God, God the Father. Entrusted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, even so we speak in this manner, we speak. It's not just a guy who's teaching because he wants to teach. A guy who's preaching because he wants to preach. A guy who who wants to do Habitat for Humanity, so he does this. No, he's been examined, tested, and approved by God the Father. The creator of all things. 
Just like Amos, when Amos says, I'm no prophet, and the Lord says, surprise, you're a prophet. Amos, you know, says, you know, I'm no prophet, nor the son of the prophet, son of a prophet. And Jesus Christ says, surprise, Amos. <laughs> Jeremiah, you know, oh, Jeremiah, you're so stupid. What are you crying for? Look, you're lonely. There's no, nobody wants to be with you, Jeremiah. You're so stupid. All you talk about is, you know, all this thing, you know, we're of the elect and God is for us. And you talk about all this ruin and you talk about, you know, uh, judgment. And that's all you talk about is judgment and, you know, and condemnation. And you're so stupid, Jeremiah. Jeremiah goes to the Lord and says, Lord, these people, they have their prophets, they have their priests. And the Lord gives him this reassurance. You know, yeah, they have their prophets, but they're not my prophets. They don't speak for me. He says, Jeremiah, I speak for, I, I speak to you and you tell the people this. And yes, Jeremiah was alone. But he was a vessel nonetheless. Most vessels of the Lord, of the Most High, the creator of all things. This, I mean, you, you, know, you, 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 you see the brightness of the day. The sun is in the sky. The creator of that. I mean, you stand on, 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 on ground. The creator of the ground that you stand on. He's tested all the vessels that he uses. Examined, tested, and approved. Not just tested. Examined, tested, and approved. I mean, you ever see like when they release a new car or, you know, like, you know, you see these, you know, all the, 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 the designers and the engineers and they test this, they examine this, they put a little piece here. We got to lighten the load here and they do this, all this testing. And finally it's like, okay, this is approved. Now, you know, we go to release. We go to market now. We got this final product and now we go to, 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 to uh, we, we, we take it to market. And that's what the Lord does. That's what God does with his vessels. He examines, tests, boom, Amos approved, boom, Hannah approved, boom, Ruth approved, boom, Jeremiah approved, boom, Ezekiel approved, boom, Paul approved, boom, Titus approved, Priscilla, Achilla, Chloe, boom, approved. Entrusted with the gospel. And Paul says, in this manner, even so we speak. Understand who's speaking. Remember Paul in Corinth? You have 10,000 teachers, he said. But one father. Speaking of himself, like a spiritual father. He spoke to them when he says that. He says like, you know, like you're like, you're like children to me, like my own children. And he speaks, when you look at the translation in the Greek, it's like, he, like they pass through his birth canal. He's male, he has no birth canal. But yet that's how tender he is towards them. He says, you have 10,000 teachers, but one spiritual father. The more I love you, he says, to the saints in Corinth, the more you hate me. And yet God who has approved him. And not just approved, examined and tested him. The same God who did the same process of examination and approval process with Ruth, with Esther, with 
Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Moses. The same God did it with Paul, Priscilla, Achilla, Chloe. He does it today. But you have to look at the formula. Servants of Satan. Approved by Satan. (laughs) Not of the Most High. You have to be a Berean to know. Test the spirits. Because these days are wicked. These days are evil. He says, even so we speak in verse 4, not as pleasing men. That's kind of an understatement. I mean, I kind of laugh at that. Not as pleasing men. That's kind of an understatement. Because, I mean, like Paul says some things. It's like, whoa, I can't believe he's saying this. I mean, we, we look at the book of Acts. It's like, whoa, I can't believe he's saying this. We read his writings. It's like, whoa, I can't believe he said this. But these are things which needed to be said. They need, I mean, remember in Corinth, you know, your rejoicing isn't good. You come to church, you sing praise, praise the Lord, hallelujah. You got your arms raised and everything Everything looks like you're worshiping the Lord. But he says, your rejoicing isn't good, you guys. Why? Because there's leaven in the camp. He says, not as pleasing men, but God. Who tests our hearts or examines our hearts. In verse 5, for neither at any time did we use flattering words. Understand that the gospel of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's not a sales pitch. You see people sometimes, you turn on TBN, Tricking Believers Nightly, and it's like, wow, this is like a sales pitch, like an infomercial. Like a, a sales pitch on, on, on TV, the guy's, you know, uh, peddling. It's not a sales pitch. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God unto salvation. The power of God unto salvation. He says, as you know nor a cloak for covetousness. And this is a big deal because Paul pinpoints hypocrisy. Because hypocrisy is, you know, the Greek is hypocrites. And it's the word that they use for uh, acting, the actors. They're playing a part. They have, you know, a mask that had the smiley face, a mask that had the sad face, a mask that had the, the, the mad face. And they were just put on. They're playing a part. You remove the mask and what do you see? You see the real person. Pretenders. And that's what you see in pulpits today. Pretenders. Oh, let us pray. Meanwhile, he's a crackhead. Oh, let us pray, church. You know, they got the smile on their face, the nice smile. Oh, look, he's got a nice smile. Meanwhile, he's with the strippers. Oh, hello, church. Let us pray. We're going to study the Bible. We're going to do this. Meanwhile, he's gambling. You see? Meanwhile, he's beating on his wife. Meanwhile, he's cheating on his wife. Meanwhile, he's, he has, you know, wife number four and his previous wives are still alive. You see? Oh, let us pray. We're going to pass around the offering plate and we're going to do it this once and we're going to do it in the middle. We're going to do it again just so, you know, you can, you know, be extra, extra pious unto the Lord. Meanwhile, he's paying for his mansion in Palisades. Getting his private jet. You see? They pretend to be holy. The celebrity pastors. 
hungry for money, sex, and power. Freak shows. Wolves. Hirelings. And Paul says, you know this ain't us. In verse 5, he says, you know. We didn't come to you with flattering words. I mean, where you see the mega church, like a lot of people in the pulpits, you most likely, very likely, 99.892% of the time, you see the flatterers. They use the flattering words. And the people laugh. Ha, 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 ha. Oh, yes, this guy, he flatters us. And oh, yes, he's a nice guy. You turn on Tricking Believers Nightly, TBN. You see it? The sales pitch people, <clears throat> sales pitch people, they use the flattering words. But the vessels of the Lord, they're like loners, like Jeremiah. There's no widespread market for them. Only for the remnant. Only, 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 only for the remnant. In verse 5, he says, nor a cloak for covetousness. We don't want your money. In fact, Paul denies the money. Remember in Corinth, he says, look, I have every right as, as you know, an ox is, 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 is worthy of his grain. You shall not muzzle the ox. And yes, as apostles, we have every right. But Paul says, I deny that. I don't want it. I don't want your money. He says in verse 5, God is witness. God sees. Remember, these are people who have been approved by God, examined, tested, and approved. In verse 6, nor did we seek glory from men or the accolades of men, either from you or from others. When we might have made demands as apostles, you see, and messengers of the Lord, messengers of Christ. Now, disciple precedes apostle. Disciple precedes apostle. Never forget that. I'll put it another way. Student precedes messenger. People forget that. People want, they come to Christ and want to be messenger. Hold the phone there, my friend. Now, if if you heeded my prior calls to become a Christian and you're a Christian today, you know, happy birthday, but you're eager to share the good news, hold on, hold on. You're what's called a novice. You're a baby, rightfully so. If that's you, you came to Christ today, maybe last month, maybe in the last two months. I'll say month. Two months, don't be a baby anymore. But a month. So you became a Christian in the last month. Maybe today. And praise be to the Lord. Happy birthday. But. Don't be a messenger yet. That's like. You know. A baby who wants to. uh, uh, Walk alongside a busy road. Yes. The baby can walk alongside the busy road. But. Well, I mean, you know, a child who can walk, you know, the baby can crawl along, but it's dangerous because the baby doesn't know, okay, this car is going to hit me and run me over. The baby doesn't know that. The baby needs to grow and mature and learn, okay, this is the this is the sidewalk, these are the, the road, and this is what the cars do, and this is the light and the stoplight, this is stop, this is green, this is red, this is go, this is stop, here's the sign, here's the crosswalk. A child needs to grow and learn that. Because this world is dangerous. Now, if you're a baby Christian, 
Yes, this world is dangerous. Never forget the formula. Uh, student before messenger. Disciple before apostle. Student before messenger. Because a lot of times people immediately want to be messenger. But what happens, they forget that Satan is a fisherman too. Oh, I'm going to go preach to the to the uh, meth addicts. Surely God wants them to be Christians. And then in the course of time, they become users. Oh, I'm going to go preach to the prostitutes. Surely God wants them to be Christians. In the course of time, they become customers. They fall. And in the fall, their heart becomes harder. We don't want that. We have to protect against that. We want you to have jello hearts, nice and soft circumcision. And we want it to be jello. We want it to stay jello. Finish line. You see? And so we see this that we might, in verse 6, we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. They had the absolute authority to do that. But what I love so much about these vessels of the Lord, Old Testament and New Testament, most of the time that these this, these authorities that they have as not just messengers, but as in some cases overseers, that you see it denied. Denied. We could have made demands, but we denied doing that. Why? Is to give opportunity for the listeners to respond. You see? Is Paul not going to do anything? Titus isn't going to do anything about this. Paul isn't going to do anything about that. It's not a do-nothing approach. It is called the balls-in-your-court approach. People who respond to the word. Now, people who don't respond to the word, you know, we exercise grace and mercy. People do not respond to the word. It's like, okay, I get it. I understand. You know, it might be difficult to understand, difficult to apply. But now a pastor or an elder can understand, well, saint, why is this difficult and complicated for you to apply? Now, you might come into this situation where there's a baby Christian who's been a baby not for a month, who's been a baby for two years who's been a baby for 10 years. And when you have these extended period of times where a baby, there's a baby Christian where it's like 10 years, 5 years, now you're looking at potential leaven. It could be that they're a baby because they have a defunct pastor, a defunct elder who likes to keep them babies because they're really hirelings and servants of Satan. And, you know, they, they want them to be babies so they're not a threat and they, they can make a mockery of Jesus Christ. It could be. Different variables in play. But understand that babies are babies for a reason. It could be because of how they're taught. It could be because of their teacher. It could be because of their pastor. It could be because they like the milk. It could be because they like the darkness. It could be because they're lukewarm. It could be because they're not hot. They're not cold. They're lukewarm. They like it both ways. And they love Jesus Christ, but they also love the crack. They love Jesus Christ, but they also love the sex. They love Jesus Christ, but they also love Buddha. That's not good. Lukewarm, not good. And we see here, and Paul says, we could have made these demands as apostles of Christ in verse 7, but we were gentle among you. I love this. It's to be gentle, mild, 
affable, pleasant, easygoing, mellow, and friendly. And Paul says, that's how we were among you. People think of the warrior class as like the tough guys. Now, there is a moment where it's like, okay, the warrior, it's the time to be tough. The tough guy, it's the time, it's the time to be tough. It's appropriate to be tough. It's appropriate for the tough gal to be tough gal. But don't forget it. To be gentle, know, know who you're speaking to. Know who you're speaking to. You know, you, you're a warrior in Christ, and praise be to the Lord. But you're speaking to children? You know, be gentle. Be gentle. And Paul says, we were gentle among you. Just as a nursing mother cherishes, cherishes her own children so affectionately longing for you, which is to yearn and desire for you to have this yearning. And that's koinonia, the ecclesia. Oneness in Christ, unity in Christ. It's not unity as the world deems unity to be. That's satanic. One of the signs of the last days is this unity in accordance to the mother of harlots. The mother of harlots. Unity, 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 unity. For the sake of unity, no thanks. Biblical unity is unity in Jesus Christ, unity in sound doctrine. You say, oh, but these Christians, oh, look, they're unified with uh, uh, the Buddhists. Look, it's a people of faith. Look, unity, good. No, unity, bad in that case. How does the Lord view mixture? Remember our study in Leviticus? The Lord doesn't like the mixture. It's not good. Unity, not with the world. Unity not with the spirit of Antichrist. Unity not with the mother of harlots. Unity among the saints of the Most High. Ecclesia. People say church, you know, church, 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 church. And I get it. I understand. But how it translates in the Greek is ecclesia. You know what that means? It's a group of people who are called a group of the called, a body of the called, that's ecclesia, that's church. You see a building and it says, you know, Christianity, it says church, it has a picture of the Bible, it says truth on it. You walk inside and nothing but poison comes from the pulpit. Why? The formula, no formula, no blueprints. They might open the Bible and teach the Bible, no power, no spirit. You see? But when the formula is right, as in Paul, as in Titus, as in Priscilla, Achilla, as little Timmy, Silas, Peter, Dr. Luke, we see in verse 8, so affectionately longing for you. We were well pleased to impart to you or share and give to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. I love this so much. Pastors, to pour into the people of God, to pour into the flock of God, not your flock, the flock of God, God's lambs, God's sheep, to pour in, to teach, to protect, to guide. The wolf comes, kill the wolf metaphysically, but kill the wolf nonetheless. 
to pour yourself out even to the point of death. Because remember, to live is Christ, to die is gain. You teach and teach and teach and protect and protect. The wolf comes, kill the wolf metaphysically. You feed, you protect, you guide. And if it costs you your life, so be it. To live is Christ, to die is gain. But also our own lives, he says, because you had become dear to us. This is koinonia. It's deep. It's This is family, heavenly family, not biological. The blood of Christ, his blood, a different kind of blood flows through our veins. It's the blood of Christ. And this bloodline, this family, it's heavenly, not of this world, not biological, supernatural, of Zion, of paradise. Verse 9, for you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day. I love this so much because remember, Paul says, he says, laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Now, they had every right as apostles, as messengers of Christ, they have every right to to take money from the saints and use it for their, you know, for their provisions, for food, for shelter. They had every right to do that. But they denied it. Paul was a tent maker. I mean, when you read the book of Acts, if you're walking with us for a while, you you recall our studies and you might remember our studies. But, you know, Paul would teach and teach and teach like all night long. Morning, and it would be like, you know, nighttime, you think, okay, it's eight o'clock. He's going to be done. It's nine o'clock. You're like, oh, my goodness, he's not done. Maybe he's going to go another 20 minutes. Now it's midnight. Oh, my goodness, he's still not done. Maybe maybe he'll be done in, you know, you know. 10 more minutes. It's 3 in the morning. Oh my goodness, he's still not done. Finally, the guy falls asleep at the window, falls out. You figure, okay, finally he's done. Let's take care of this guy who's, you know, dead at the, you know, he's dead, but, you know, let's take care of him and finally we can go home. When Paul prays, he comes back to life. Okay, let's go back up. We're going to teach. You're like, oh my goodness, who is this guy? The guy was almost dead, and you know, or he, you know, you know, the the Paul prayed, came back to life, and you figure, okay, let's go home now. You know, we had a good night. You know, it's late. Let's get some sleep. You're only asleep for two hours. You're gonna sleep for you know three hours before the the chickens start to 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 to, you know do their cockadoodle do. Paul says, okay, let's go back up. We're gonna teach some more. Oh my goodness! Four in the morning, five in the morning, six in the morning. The chickens do their cockadoodle do. Paul says, okay, I got to go to work and I got to make my tents. <laughs> Who is this guy? He would make his tents and sell his tents and the proceeds from that, he would feed to this bubble that was with him. This is our shelter. We made this money from the tents. Here, have a meal. Here's your meal. You know, look, we have our meals. The Lord has provided. Let's pray for pray for this meal, you know. Pray for the Lord to continue to guide us. Pray for the saints. Little Timmy, can you lead us in prayer? Little Timmy prays. So beautiful. How he had every right to take 
uh, uh, money and offering from saints to support them. You know, oh, look, I'm going to teach all night. I'm going to teach all night. And we're going to do, you know, in the three in the morning, four in the morning, five in the morning. I'm going to teach all night and, you know, pass an offering plate around so that we can, you know, have money to pay for breakfast. Nope. Paul says, no, I don't want it. Freely I have received, freely I give. And he gives the good news of Jesus Christ. The milk of the word and the meat of the word. He just lays it out. Balls in your court. He lays it out, okay? They want to behave like this? Okay, Corinthians, now separate from the leaven. Balls in your court. You can separate or you cannot separate. If you separate, that's obedience. If you don't separate, that's disobedience. Balls in your court. Okay, Corinthians, you want, you, here's, here's the servants of Satan. You might well put up with it, and I fear that I don't want you to, but you know, I fear for you because you might, and they come with a different Jesus, another gospel. Don't do it. You know, you, uh, uh, test the spirits to see whether it's of the Lord. Okay, balls in your court. You can do it like this, which is obedient, or you cannot do it like this, which is disobedience. Remember, these are Paul, Titus, this bubble, approved by God. Examined, tested, and approved. Remember Amos? I'm no prophet nor the son of a prophet, Jesus or the Lord. Surprise, Amos. Surprise, Amos. You're a prophet. And so we see in verse 9, For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach the gospel. We preach to you the gospel of God. To the Corinthian saints, he says, you know, free of charge, freely I have received, freely I give. You are witnesses, he says, and God also. I love that so much. It's before the Lord. The Lord sees all of it. The one who has approved them for this ministry, for this work of which Paul says, we're the scum of the world. We're the scum of the earth. We're trash. You guys are like kings. We are the workers. You are the field. You are the building. He says in verse 10, you are witnesses and God also. How devoutly and justly and blameless we behaved ourselves among you who believe. Now, he says how devoutly and justly or how devoutly it's holy as Consecrated, consecrated, set apart. Remember, Paul is a pattern for others to to follow and emulate. And the fruit of that, churches become patterns to follow and emulate. Remember the Macedonians? The Macedonians who were a blessing in Corinth? Where did the Macedonians learn it from? Philippi. See, churches as examples, churches as patterns. And within those churches, saints as patterns. Ecclesia as a pattern for the Ecclesia. Hagios as a pattern for the Hagios. Individuals consecrated and set apart. Ecclesia, a group of individuals called, consecrated and set apart. Not a social club. Not a social club. A group of the called. He says, 
In verse 10, how devoutly and justly and blameless we behaved ourselves among you who believe. Now, the world thought evil of Paul. And this bubble. Oh, Chloe, who is she? She's a tattletale. She's a snitch. Chloe, how dare she say this? So what if we're doing our sex and drugs and alcohol and all these things? So what? And she's going to go and tell Paul, look, we're, our behavior is is condoned by our, our defunct pastors, our defunct elders. You know, they just keep saying, you know, let us love and let God take care of the rest. And Chloe, she's such a snitch. How dare she rat us out? And Paul says, surprise, you guys are leaven." He says to the remnant, remnant, separate from the living. Now, was the, was the remnant, are they without chastisement? No. They got the little tap, tap. Paul says, do I praise you in this? No. Do I praise you in that? No. Then we get into 2 Corinthians and you see restoration as, you see it, restoration as more beautiful. It was beautiful in the last part of 1 Corinthians, but it's hardcore still little chastisement, little tap, tap. But then you get into 2 Corinthians, it's like, wow, this is, you see, like, I mean, have you ever restored something? Like, you say you buy, like, a, a secondhand shelf or a bookcase or something, and it's just a nasty, like, a, a heap of a junk, you know? Or, you know, it seems that way. But in your mind, you're like, I'm going to fix this up. And so it's just nasty. It's got, you know, everything, dings here, dings there. But, you know, you restore it to its original perfection you restore it and you know at the very beginning it's nasty and you know let's say it's like a week-long project in day one nasty day two still nasty day three uh, less nasty day four now you start to see wow this is kind of pretty day five wow this is like gorgeous day six oh my goodness this is stupendous Day seven, oh, this is glorious. It's done now. You see? And that's like First Corinthians. It's like, okay, yes, it's a bookcase. You know, you know, saints, yes, but babies. And then you get into First Corinthians 5, and it's like, okay, this is, you know, they're saints, they're babies, but there's this ugliness that exists. The separation happens, and then now the bookcase, now we go to work. Now we go to work. Now we got to refurbish. Now we got to restore. How does that happen? Okay, you know, you get into like, you know, 1 Corinthians 6 and 7. It's like, okay, this is still hardcore, still a little ugly, and these are hard things. I mean, if you've been walking with us for a while and you you remember those studies, they were hard. They were hard because we talked about some, the nitty gritty. We studied the nitty gritty. And then you get into the last part of first, first Corinthians and then you get into the second Corinthians. It's like, okay, I see the beauty now. Restoration. It's like, wow, you know, you're, 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 you're giving a lot of credit to Paul. Paul's dead. Paul says of himself, it is no longer I who live. He says, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's not Paul. It's Christ in Paul. That's how dead he was. That's how dead he was. Examined, tested, and approved by God. And so we see here, 
in verse 11, as you know. Now, how many times do we see Paul say, you know? I mean, like in verse 1, for you know yourselves. You know yourselves. And then we see like in verse um, uh, in verse 5, you know, flattering words, as you know. You see like all these things, like you know, like all, you see these in, in, in verse 11, you know. Because picture the saints in Thessalonica. You know, you and me, we go back in our time machine and we're, you know, we're sitting there in the pews of Thessalonica. And two years later, after we, we became Christians and we get this first letter from Paul. And it's like, man, you know, do we, do we continue on as Christians? Do we continue in this walk? Do we continue in this race? Because, man, the, the cost of being a Christian is pretty heavy. We hear things that what the Romans are doing to Christians, but man, let's forget the Romans for a moment. Look at the Judaizers, the religious leaders in the synagogues that are all around us. And the cost of being a Christian is very high. But then we remember Jesus Christ, the words of our Lord who says, count the cost. Not count the cost at the starting point. Well, I meant, you know, count the cost then, but not with the focal point being at the starting point. The focal point is on the finish line. Do we have what it takes to finish? Do we got the goods to finish? You say, well, that sounds like works-based salvation, no obedience-based salvation. Lay aside those things which so easily ensnare us and run our race, moving on to perfection. Paul says of himself, I don't count myself having uh, having achieved already, but I press forward, I move forward. He says in verse 11, as you know, how we exhorted. Don't forget, exhortation is not without warning. People think exhortation is all, you know, you know, so, you know it's, it's got to be good. I want to hear the good exhortation, you know, exhort me, Paul, exhort me, Paul. I want to feel good about myself. And Paul says, have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? People think exhortation is all about just the good. Tell me the good. Tell me the good. Tell, the, tell me the good. You know, we're in Deuteronomy. It just so happens that we're studying Deuteronomy on Wednesday. You know, if you're listening for the first time, we study the Old Testament on Wednesdays. We study the New Testament on Sundays. Verse by verse, line upon line, precept upon precept. Look at the pep talk that Moses is giving. I say pep talk because it's like, remember, we make reference to Moses is giving his discourse in Deuteronomy. He's giving this discourse to the next generation of Israel who's going to pass into the promised land. And he gets into the nitty gritty. He gets down and dirty. And you figure like, wow, you know, Paul give, or Moses, give a, tell us the good. We want to hear the good. But you cannot have the good without the ugly. To understand. You cannot have the blessing without the curse. Because it's not just blessing only. There is the curse. It's not just good only. There is bad. Because what happens if it's just good only? Oh yeah, we're going to get to the promised land and I'm going to go ahead and worship the Baal. I'm going to go ahead and worship the Baal and the asterisk and, you know, little Molech over here. Little Molech over here. Little little asterisk over there. Little Baal over here. No big deal. Look, God is love and God loves me. And Oh, yeah. Hey, baby girl, why don't, why don't you go worship Baal? Join me in worshiping Baal, baby girl. 
God is for us. You know, if God is for us, who could be against us? God is love. Moses would be disobedient if he gave the good only. He also gave the bad, the curse, which is if you do that, if you worship the Baals, you do the Molex and the Asterisk, you do that, you are in sin, which means the blessing no longer applies. Why? Because the formula in your heart is wrong. And now that the formula of, for the blessing doesn't apply in you, the formula for the curses are now effectuated in you. So we get into the promised land. Now we, we know blessing. We know curse. Now, balls in our court. We choose. You see? Exhortation. People think exhortation is just good. Good only. I want to hear the good. Paul, tell me the good. Moses, tell me the good. Amos, tell me the good. Jeremiah, tell me the good. Paul, tell me the good. John, tell me the good. The word of God will not be good to you when you are disobedient to the word of God. And I tell you that from experience. You can read the Bible, you can know the Bible, but without yielding to the Bible and heeding the Bible and walking in the Bible and walking according to the Spirit, which leads to the Word of God, guides in the Word of God. Without doing that, you will not have the blessings of the Word of God. You will only have the curses of the Word of God. It's not knowing the Bible for the sake of knowing it's knowing the Bible so that we can apply the Bible to our lives. You hear us say from time to time to make the pages white. Make the pages white. Every jot, every tittle coming off of the pages into our eye holes and right down to our hearts, right down to our minds, the circumcision of heart. Just like the ball was in the court of Israel, the ball is in the court of you and me today. You see, oh, that's works-based salvation, people say. That's works-based. I believed in the finished work of the cross. Well, I believe in the finished work of the cross too. But I also want to make it to the finish line. And I teach for all of us to make it to the finish line, run our race. The race is an oar. You say, oh, I'm a Christian, you know, I'm, I'm a you know, a born-again Christian, praise be to the Lord. The race is done. No, it isn't. To tell us that it is finished. The finished work of the cross. But don't forget, we have our races to run. You see? Paul even says of himself, of himself, lest I be disqualified. Whoa. Puts things in perspective. That's why he also says, make your call and election sure. Or Peter says that. Make your call and election sure. Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Whoa. Puts things in proper perspective. 
Exhortation is not without warning. You can't have the good without the bad. Because when you have the good only, that's not good. When you have the good and the bad, now you can choose properly. Well, you can choose whether it's properly. It depends on your obedience unto the Lord. It's possible to choose wickedly too. People who know the Bible. Have you ever had a conversation with people? Oh, I know the Bible like the back of my hand. Don't mind the strippers over here. No big deal. Don't mind the meth over here. No big deal. Don't mind the gambling over here. No big deal. Don't mind the Buddha. Don't mind the Ouija boards. No big deal. It's a big deal. It's a huge deal. Repent, 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 repent. Come to the Lord. If you're listening and you're like, you know, you, you didn't heed my prior calls because you figure, well, I'm a Christian, you know, I'm a Christian, once saved, always saved. And yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus Christ, but I also like my crack, my sex, my drugs, and this and that. And you realize right here, right now, that you're lukewarm. You need to recommit your life to Jesus Christ. But this is it. Let us run this race together. And you hit pause, you listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And you do precisely that. You commit, recommit your life to Christ. Not over and over and over and over. It's like, like oh, I'm going to do my sex, I'm going to do my drugs, and every time I do it, I'm going to you know, take advantage of God's grace. It doesn't work that way. Paul says, does that mean we should sin more so that grace can abound? Absolutely not. Exclamation point. Remember our study in Romans? Absolutely not. Oh, but he does it, she does it. That's nice. The apostate does it too. Are they apostate? More to analyze, but they're on that path. I don't care about he and she. I care about you. You choose in your heart not to be cold, not to be warm, to be hot, white hot for Jesus Christ. Balls in your court. And we see here in verse 11, he says, And you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. Remember Paul in Corinth, you have 10,000 teachers but one father. Of the Corinthian saints or to the Corinthian saints, he says, The more I love you, the more you hate me. That's part of the call. That's part of the call. Look at Amos, look at Jeremiah, look at Paul. You know, Damas has left me. The glitz and glam. Bright lights, big cities. The glitz and glam, Damas forgot. Only Luke is with me, he says. Look at Jeremiah, the lonely prophet. The weeping prophet. It's part of the gig. Not to discredit or cheapen a call of God. But the more intimate you are with Jesus Christ, and I mean deep, I mean straight up cheek to cheek, heart to heart, the more people will hate you. Even inside the church, the more people will hate you. But that's part of the call. Verse 12, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his 
own kingdom and glory. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, nonstop. Because when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, now pause here for a moment. The word of God from people? The word of God from people? Straight up logos, word of God. The word became flesh. From people? In the case of Paul, yes. In the case of Rick Warren, absolutely not. In the case of Moses, yes. In the case of Korah, no. The vessels that God uses have a very specific formula and recipe in their heart. Look for that. When you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, Remember, when the saints heard this, when the Thessalonican saints heard this, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as in truth, the word of God. Now, remember, the, the, the vessels of the Lord never deviate from the word of God. Vessels of the Lord never deviate away from him. Vessels that are not of the Lord, they always deviate from the Lord. Always. Vessels that are satanic vessels, They will always, 100% of the time, they will always direct away from the Lord. They will always deviate away from the Lord. It might not be immediate, but in the course of time, it's like an off-ramp. You ever driving on the freeway and you you take the off-ramp and at the very first part of the off-ramp, you're almost parallel to the freeway. And you're parallel to the freeway and then you keep going further and then that spread gets further and further. Spread gets further and further, further and further. And finally, you're like not even parallel to the freeway. Finally, you're off the freeway. And that's how servants of Satan are. At the very beginning, almost parallel to the freeway. In some cases, you are parallel to the freeway. But you're in the wrong lane because that lane is going to force the off-ramp. And in the course of time, you continue at whatever speed and you're going to veer further and further and further away off course. Servants of Satan, that's what they do. Servants of the Lord? Nope. Right smack dab in the middle of the way, in the middle of the path, which is narrow. And he says of the Thessalonican saints, he says, When you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as in truth the word of God. Speaking of the word, he says, which also effectively works in you who believe. Now this effectively works, it's to actively work and efficiently works in you who believe. Now the word of God, the word of God, the Bible, the Logos, the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, It is a mere book or it is powerful and active. The determining factor is you, my friend. A lot of people have the Bible on their bookshelves and it's collecting dust. In those situations, it's just a book. You pick it up and read it as literature Just a book. It's a mystery. That's that's how the Lord designed it. It's a mystery. He says, seek and you will find. But the heart has to be right. The heart of the seeker has to be right. A noble heart. 
I mean, sometimes people seek, they open up the Bible and they seek, but they seek to destroy. You know, like you get, give people, you get people who, you know, become lawyers. They become constitutional lawyers. And you figure, wow, this guy's a constitutional lawyer. This lady's a constitutional lawyer. You figure, wow, they're going to support the constitution. No, but they, they get into this legal field and constitutional law so that they can destroy the constitution. The same thing happens with the Bible. People study the Bible and they seek the Bible to attempt to destroy the Bible. Looking for, oh, the Bible, look, a contradiction over here. There are no contradictions in the Bible. The contradiction is in the heart of men, the heart of women. No contradictions in the Bible. And if you seek the word like that, with that heart, that heart, it's just literature. But when you seek, the Bible says, seek and you will find. But the heart has to be right. You seek with the noble heart. The word of God is spiritually discerned. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit of the Lord knows those hearts. And you seek the Lord like that and you read the Bible, it's, it's a whole new ballgame. Why? Because it's the handiwork of our Lord. You see? The word of God, the Bible, it's only a book. Or it is powerful and active. And it pains me to say that it's only a book. But I only say that to give this illustration so that you can understand. Let our hearts be noble. Not just today, not just tomorrow, until the finish line. You see? These attacks are going to get even heavier and heavier as we get further into the last days. He says in verse 14, For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God. You see now, imitators, the churches can be patterns too. Paul is a pattern. Timothy is a pattern. Priscilla, Aquila, they're patterns. But when you have a body of Christ, churches can be patterns too. You see? Laodicea, bad pattern, not good. Smyrna, Beautiful pattern. Philadelphia, beautiful pattern. Laodicea, not good. You see? Look at Macedonia unto Corinth. Look at Philippi unto Macedonia. Patterns. Paul is a pattern. People can be patterns. Churches can be patterns. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things, which is to experience pain. You also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans. Now, remember, if you've been walking with us for a while, you remember our study in the book of Acts. And there was a diaspora, uh, the the, the fleeing away of Judea. Why? Because of the persecution on the church. Paul was a part of that before he came to Christ. He was a part of that. Persecuting Christians, killing Christians. And when we see here that in verse 14, he says, You became imitators of churches of God, which are in Judea. And you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans. Because you remember the book of Acts, there's the diaspora. And you figure, okay, there's the diaspora. We're going we're gonna to flee to where it is safe. We're, we're, we're in Judea and we're going to move to a location where it is safe for us. But you get into Thessalonica, it's not safe. You get into Ephesus, not safe. You get into certain regions, not safe. You get into Corinth, not safe. You get all these outside influences. In some cases, it's not safe spiritually. In some cases, it's not safe physically. 
like straight-up home invasion in Thessalonica. The only safety anyone can have, it's in Christ Jesus. That's the only safety there is, the biblical Jesus. Remember Jesus Christ, when the disciples asked him, what's the sign of your, your coming? He says, there's going to be many Christs. Many Christ, you got a Jesus over here, Jesus, 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 all over the place. There's only one whose word is above his name. We have to know the formulas. Be a Berean. Understand the scriptures. Because you understand the scriptures, you listen to a preacher guy, it's like, whoa, this guy's a servant of Satan because you're a Berean. Another guy speaks, it's like, wow, this guy's a servant of Satan. Wow, this other guy, he says things that are on point, but he needs to learn a little bit more about this and that. And you listen to this other guy, okay, he's good to go. It's safe for the saints who go to this church. This other guy, okay, he's good to go. It's safe for the saints in this church. This other guy, whoa, he's dangerous. He's a wolf. It is dangerous for saints to be in there. They got to jump ship. You see? The only safety is in Jesus Christ. And it's spiritual safety. It's, it's spiritual safety. Look at churches in persecuted lands where they're beaten and killed and imprisoned today. According to the flesh, not safe. According to the spirit, safe. You see? And yet we see as the we get even deeper in the events of the last days. Christians will be in the crosshairs. The Antichrist spirit hates Jews and Christians. Will come against the Antichrist and the forces of Antichrist and those allied with the Antichrist will kill Jews and then kill Christians. According to prophecy, which will be fulfilled. Look at Jesus. They hated him first. Filling bellies, Jesus was loved. Filling hearts, he was hated. Don't see, don't be surprised when they hate you. Christians today, you and me together, we need to get very acclimated and comfortable with this reality. That friendliness with the world is enmity with God. And friendliness with God is enmity with the world. When the world hates you, not if, when the world hates you, do not be surprised. You see? In verse 15, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets. This is the Judaizers, the religious leaders. Levites, Kohanim. I mean, we're studying the Old Testament. We see the beauty of the Levites and the Kohanim. We see the beauty of it, not advocating the law. But the law is still holy. And we see the beauty of it. And all of a sudden, what happened? For these religious leaders to all of a sudden be on the bad side of God. Well, they were blind and they were deaf. Just like as we see Deuteronomy 28. Remember, when you're, the curse is in the city, it's not good. But it's a lot better when the curse is in Egypt. Listen to our study through Deuteronomy 28. You'll understand. For these religious leaders, these religious leaders, earlier in time, the curse was in the city. 
at that moment was a perfect opportunity opportunity to repent and be where they need to be and align themselves with Jesus Christ and commit their lives to Jesus Christ. Because remember, the law was added until the seed. The law was added because of sin, because of transgression, until the seed. Listen to our study in Galatians. But because these religious leaders, their hearts grew harder and harder, became stone. Now, Deuteronomy 28, instead of the curse being in the city, now the curse is in Egypt. You see, bondage. You see in verse 15, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets have persecuted us and they do not please God and are contrary to all men, are hostile to all men. And that's the law. I mean, we look at the law and yes, we see beauty in the law as the lesser glory, the greater glory points to Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the law and the promise. Listen to our study to Galatians. But there is hostility in the law. I mean, stoning? That's, that's, I mean, there is, there is an aspect, a very big aspect of hostility in the law. And even so with the followers and adherents to the law. But what's to be expected? Now that the seed is here, what's to be expected from those who do not have eyes to see nor ears to hear? Not just the law. But understand that the seed is now here because understand that the seed, the law points to Christ. Remember Isaiah 1 and Isaiah 1, you know, do you not hear the law? Paul says it in Galatians, you know, tell me you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? But in Isaiah, Isaiah also makes mention of, you know, now these sacrifices, these offerings. Now it's pointless. It's pointless. How could a prophet of God say that the sacrifices that the law that, that the Lord uh, uh, gave to, to Israel, how could he say that all of a sudden it's not good? Did the Lord change his mind? No. The people changed their heart. You see? We see in verse 16, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved. Remember, Paul's custom was to go into synagogue. Synagogue and reason with the Jews. His countrymen. He says of his own countrymen, he says that I would, I would prefer that if it means that they could come to Christ, I would lose my salvation. I would much rather they come to Christ and I be anathema from Christ. That's how much he loved his countrymen. That's love. That's serious love. To much rather be separated from the Lord. And have your countrymen come to Christ. And his custom was to go into synagogue and reason with the Jews. And he was very effective. And he would prove from the scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah. And finally they said, nope, you can't do that. And when the threat in Paul, when he became so deadly, now they said, okay, we got to kill him. He says in verse 16 that they forbid us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved so as always to fill up the measure of their sin. It translates as to cram in sins as as if theirs wasn't enough. Now they're restricting God's vessels from planting seeds, sharing the good news. And as a result, remember the Lord is reactionary. 
And Paul says, but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. Orge, God's wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. Remember, God's wrath is going to come to this world. The prophesied events of the last days. But when you read Romans 1, you see that God's wrath comes upon individuals. A people who have forgotten the Lord. Given up on the Lord. Something that's going to be amped up even more in the last days. People who have given up on God. You see, ex-evangelicals, people who were Christians and they're no longer Christians. They deny Jesus Christ. They call the ex-evangelical movement. Former Christians, ex-evangelical. That's what they call themselves. Sign of the last days. And because they gave up on God, the Bible says that God's wrath, God also gives up on them. And then you see the works of the flesh. Sexual sin, all kinds of debauchery, you know, all kinds of lesbianism, homosexuality, bestiality. It doesn't end there. A lot of Christians like to get on a high horse. Oh, you homosexuals, you lesbians, this, that. that. Don't forget heterosexual sin. Included in that list is, you know, all kinds of works of the flesh. Backbiters, disobedient to parents, heterosexual sin. Porneia. Don't forget, the wrath of God comes upon individuals. But this is what happens when God is forgotten. Yes, people have forgotten the Lord. People have given up on the Lord. And, you know, it's it's not like, you know, okay, you know, a person gives up on the Lord and boom, okay, now they're under God's wrath. No, there is mercy and God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. It's over time. You know, a heart going from jello to stone isn't immediate. A heart goes from jello to balsa to maple to oak to pine. And at the very last step, and it's the whole time God is long-suffering, breaking people are breaking his heart. He's not willing that any should perish. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. That's what he says in his word, Old Testament. And God never changes. And finally, people who have given, okay, I'm done with you, Lord. I'm done with, I'm not even going to call you Lord anymore. I'm done with Jesus. Okay. They made their choice. And the Lord responds. See, the wrath of God on individuals. God's wrath is going to come to this world. But we already see it in people. You see? It's when God responds in this area, understand that God is reactionary, but when He responds to the hard heart where it becomes from pine to stone, it isn't pretty. It isn't pretty at all. The ex-evangelical movement. Now you have Calvinists. I'm not a Calvinist, but you have Calvinists in Reformed theory people. They say, well, they were never saved. Well, they were never saved. No, they were saved. But it was lost. They didn't stay saved. Under Calvinism, Reformed theory, which is just a theory, well, they were never saved. You see, they lean on their false doctrine to come up with these crazy conclusions that do not align with the word of God.
If you're Calvinist Reformed, I love you, but listen to our study through Romans 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11. You'll understand more about biblical predestination. Also listen to the message, do not take the mark of the beast, because you'll hear a Reformed so-called pastor. You'll you'll hear a Reformed guy say, go ahead and take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. Doing the work of Satan. But it's not surprising with false doctrine. One of the signs. One of many signs. Verse 17 in closing, but we, brethren, haven't been taken away from you. Now, this is, I'm going to say this, but protect your hearts. This is, it translates as separation from intercourse. Now, when I say intercourse, it's not sexual intercourse. It's a social intercourse. And this is, when you have koinonia with ecclesia and the hagios, It is an intercourse. Now, protect your heart, protect your mind, because if your mind goes off into crazy town, you got to repent. Because, you know, bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ in accordance with 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. Whatever things, what we meditate on is whatever things are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy. But when I speak of this intercourse, it is not sexual. But as intercourse in terms of the social intercourse, it is close-knit. Close-knit together. Oneness in Christ. A band of brothers, a band of sisters, a band of brothers and sisters together. This close-knit body. That's how it is. And that's how this word, but we, brethren, have been taking it away from you. It's this separation from that social intercourse, that social oneness and unity. These are things that we have to also get acclimated to. Because there is a diaspora of the last days. Satan is isolating Christians. Isolating Christians. I mean, a body of I mean, when you read the book of Acts, that's not like churches you see today. Not in a lot of churches. Churches can fake it. And, you know, okay, you know, yet, you know, a hundred people that are speaking in tongues and they can fake it. But when you look at the biblical formula, that's not in accordance to the word of God. They can fake the power. But when you read the book of Acts, you're like, wait a second, this... This church that we see in the book of Acts, these believers, it is not like churches we see today. Why is that? Why is that? Well, there's all kinds of different reasons. The flesh, attacks of Satan, teachers, defunct pastors, defunct elders. Satan doesn't want any church to look like the book of Acts. Because that church is a threat to him. And so what does he do in attacking the church? What does he do? There's this isolation of saints. Where instead of being ecclesia, instead of being a body, now there's this separation that has happened. The lure. The bright lights, big city, like like Demas. 
Lure over here, lure over there, lure over here, lure over there. You know, pull these saints away. Isolation of the saints. In some cases, it's a good thing and it is not of the enemy. Because in some cases, you have people that are jumping ship like, wow, you know, I'm in this Hebrew Roots church and, you know, I realize now that it's crazy town and I got to jump ship. Now you have isolation, a little home fellowship. Praise be to the Lord. But Satan also has his lures out. Promises of this, promises of that, and people buy it hook, line, and sinker. One of the diaspora, aspects of the diaspora of the last days, the isolation of saints. People say, oh, the, the, the word church isn't in Revelation after chapter 4, so therefore it's the rapture of the church, a pre-tribulation rapture. Nope. Using uh, a, a theory to support a theory. No, that's not biblical. The church enters judgment. Judgment comes first in the house of God. Don't forget the church is under judgment. But you see saints after chapter 4, Revelation. Why? Because they're isolated. For various reasons. But they're isolated. Now that we're in this state of saint isolation. Also understanding that there's a famine of the word of God. Learn to make grain. Store your oil because it's going to get crazy. Much more. It's going to get much worse. Much, much, much worse. This is nothing. And the world can change just like that on a dime. And it is changing. New power structures, power centers. This rise of Satan in these last days, it must, you know, as he knows his time is short, you see the, 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 the increase of Gog. And it's all preparation for the events that will come to pass. And yet we see this exhortation of Paul, but we brethren have been taken away from you for a short time in presence. In presence, no, not in heart, he says, endeavored more eagerly to see you, see your face with great desire. More eagerly, he says, given this situational framework of, yes, we no longer have this social intercourse, this koinonia, this ecclesia, this episunagage, we no longer have this. But yet, in heart, we grow even closer together. We grow even closer together in heart. What a strong exhortation and reminder for the last day saints. Koinonia. According to the Spirit. Not in presence, but in heart. We see in verse 18, therefore we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. You see, his tactics to separate and isolate, ultimately to kill or attempt to kill. And that's part of Satan's playbook, you know, to make, attempt to make saints stumble and fall away and enter apostasy. But when he can't do that, 
because the saint is wise and equipped. Then he uses those close to you. Remember, he, he doesn't play by the rules. I mean, he, he, he plays cheap, cheap shot. And when he can't do that, when he can't get a saint to fall through that, now it's time to kill him. It's time to kill her. Look at Thumos in Revelation. Remember the the wrath of Satan? Look at Thumos, things that we've studied already. We just studied this last week in chapter 1, 1 Thessalonians. But when you see Thumos in Revelation and you see Satan's wrath, you know, once apostasy sets, who's left? Who's left? People take the mark of the beast. Christians, because they have wicked teachers who say, go ahead and take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. They take the mark of the beast. Who's left? Physical attacks, spiritual and physical attacks. Who's left? Now comes the imposition of the mark of the beast. Now, okay, kill them. Cut off their heads. That's his playbook. That's part of his tactics. See? Isolation of the saints in the last days. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Question mark. I love that. What What is it? Remember, we give the example at the very beginning. You and me, we've been two years saints. We remember when Paul came to town, he was just here for three weeks and our world was turned upside down. Two years later, we get a letter. And Paul says, listen, you know, there's these hardships, present hardships, but we look, we look even beyond that, the return of Jesus Christ in chapter 1, verse 10. We look forward to Jesus Christ, the return of Jesus Christ. But until then, we continue to run our race. For what is our hope, he says in verse 19, chapter 2, verse 19. What is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming, at his return, a future event? Some saints Paul won't see again. The bulk of saints here, Paul will not see again according to the flesh. According to the Spirit, it's a different ballgame. Glorified bodies. The corrupt putting on incorruption. The mortal putting on immortality. He says, for you are our glory and joy, he says. I love this so much. Because this is the heart of the faithful shepherd. Stuff, I don't want it. The sleep, I don't want it. You hate me? You know, I, I, I'm not going to deny Christ. You want to kill me? Take my head. What a, you know, I got a face only a mother can love. I don't want to. Take it. My glory? My glory? It's you. My joy? It's you. That's the heart of Paul. A former killer of Christians. That's the heart of the faithful shepherd. 
We're going to continue our study next week in chapter 3, Lord willing, to the beautiful people of the way, saints of the Most High, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.